you have a question, comment, or concern? 872-242-8311. Or maybe you'd just like to hear your voice instead of ours. 872-242-8311. Then call the D2R Podcast Network hotline at USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. No matter the time or day, you can call 24-7 and operators will be standing by. 872-242-8311. Your call is important to us. 872-242-8311. So once again, USA Chat 311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. Check out all the great deals on Amazon by first going to d2rpn.com and clicking the Amazon banner. By doing so, you're helping out the D2R Podcast Network. Don't forget to tell a friend and thanks for listening. The Think Tank Podcast. And now, coming to you pre recorded. Deep undercover, in the world's deepest, darkest, most secure, Hadron Collider and nuclear bomb tested and approved doomsday bunker, here is Ryan the Area Man! Hey Dave. Hello Mr. Ryan Williams. Yes, so, as we said in the last podcast, this episode is... An episode within an episode. It's somebody else's podcast within this podcast. We're going to Inception the fuck out of you guys right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. We're Inceptioning. Yeah, we are. Uh, So, yeah. We're going to take the Joe Rogan experience where he interviewed um, Bob Lazar and Jeremy Corbell. Um, If you didn't listen to the last episode, we watched the movie Bob Lazar, UFOs, or Area 51 and Flying Saucers. Yeah. That's on Netflix. That was made by Jeremy Corbell. Mm-hmm. Then this interview happened, and it expands upon... So the movie, if you've ever seen a movie and read the book, the movie never does everything that the book right. says, right. right? Because they can't for time. So this interview is kind of like that. It's 
expands upon what's briefly kind of covered in the movie. Mm. It's still not the book, though. Right. But it's a little bit more detailed. So we're going to listen. Obviously, you know the drill. Pause. We'll discuss whatever. Yes. And uh, if you haven't listened to the Joe Rogan experience, well, you can right now with our commentary. And then if you don't want to listen to our commentary, I guess go listen to that. But give us a shout first. Because we're going to break it down even more. Yeah. If we can. What up, CIA folks? Say hi to all of them. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. And we're live. First of all, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Dave. Cheers, bro. Relax. Bob, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I understand that you've told the story many, many times. You've been grilled many, many times, and it's very stressful for you. So I, I really, really appreciate your time. For people who don't know the story, um, there is a documentary. Um, Jeremy Corbell has a documentary out right now. It's called Bob Lazar, Area 51, and UFOs. And, and Flying Saucers. And Flying Saucers. Bob Not- Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. Okay. Yeah. Um, I almost fucked it I up, too. I first heard your story decades ago. I've, uh, I told you last night when we went out to dinner, I've seen like pretty much every interview you've ever given. I've followed the story oh, yeah, like incredibly yeah. closely. Good but time. for people who don't know the story, let's give them the bullet points. You used to work at Area 51. And Area 51... Uh, S4. You, you went like... Huh? Well, you know, we want to be accurate. Okay. Area S4. S4. Okay. It's, it's almost like you watched this already. I think we played okay. this clip. Um, you worked in, what would you, how would you describe it? Um, I, I guess within the Area 51 compound, you can call that a subset of Area 51. And you got that job. Before that, you were working. Before that, I had worked at Los Alamos right. National Labs in New Mexico. And you were involved in what kind of work? There? Nuclear weapon development, physics. I mean, that's they, they do everything there. So how do they approach you to say, hey, Bob, why don't you come on out to the Nevada desert? Well, the way this went down was, um, at that time, it was 1982, I um, had put... Uh, a jet engine in my my Honda, and Los Alamos put it on the front page of the paper. He said, you know, uh, Los Alamos man, physicist at the lab, you know, built this 200-mile-an-hour, you know, Honda jet car that I, I drove to work every day. <laughs> so uh, so I was, I was known in Los Alamos, the guy with the weird car, and, you know, you could hear it from, you know, a mile away. Anyway... The day that came out on the front page of the paper was the day Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, was giving a lecture down there at the lab. And we didn't have much going on that day in our group, and I asked if I could go down there. And um, I went down there early, and Ed Teller was outside leaning on a brick wall there and reading the front page of the paper. Now, this is a guy out of history, so I introduced myself. Hey, I'm the guy you're reading about there, and we talked for a little while, and it was cool. Uh, you know, fast forward to years later, I had moved out to Las Vegas and had, you know, left Los Alamos and, you know, went on to other things, and I wanted to get back into the scientific community. You know, I left to start other businesses and and that sort of thing. So I sent resumes out, and one of them went out to Ed Teller and referenced our meeting, you know, back, back in the, the day. And uh, anyway, he remembered me. 
and gave me a reference, somebody to contact at EGNG. And that's pretty much how it started. So you get a phone call or a letter? Like, what do you get? Well, I got a – what did I get? I got a letter initially and um, went down for an interview probably a couple times. And it was down at uh, EG&G Special Projects, which was um, at McCarran Airport at that time out in Las Vegas. And did they give you any sort of job description of what you were applying for? Um, they said it was for ad- – I can't remember exactly what they did. This was a long time ago, but I, I think it was um, – advanced propulsion or something like that something relatively generic and they said it's in a remote area um you know it's going to be some days on some days off and um you know it was kind of a it it was kind of uh not exactly a full-time job but you might have to be out there for two weeks at a time and take two weeks off so it was kind of a the work schedule would be kind of broken up and did this seem attractive to you, or did it seem weird? How no, it? it really wasn't weird because people that work at the test site, anybody that's familiar with the area up there, um, you know, working at the nuclear test site uh, or at the Tonopah test range north of there, uh, that's typically how things go. So you had known about it from the scientific community because it, Area Fifty One at that time was no, they still didn't say anything about Area Fifty One. Okay, so they, they just, just said it was in a you know in a remote location. And you just know it was up at the test site. Right. So, but there was no mention of Area 51 at that time. So they've done hundreds of nuclear tests in Nevada. Nevada, that that whole area was, there's been, there's giant chunks of Nevada that people. Yeah, there's a big piece of Nevada, and it's split up into different areas. There's a nuclear test site. There's Area 51. There's the Tonopah test range north of that. There's little sub-areas. There's areas where they test chemical weapons and things like that. So it's all broken up as a you know gigantic test area. So take me back to first day on the job. Can you imagine in like, I don't know, let's say um, something happens. We forget our history. And 150 years ago by, and humans somehow come crawling out of the fucking fallout shelter they were in, bunkers. No recollection of what happened at Area 51 or that whole area in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And then you go out there and all the fucking radiation and shit, from all the shit that they tested out there that, like, is blocked off so you can't go out there. But, like, all that's gone now, destroyed. And you just start walking out there, like, next thing you know, you got arms growing out of your head. That'd be crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's, I'm sure there's areas like that in a lot well, of major countries, like Russia and China and shit like right. that. Like, what would you do if, at, like, if we forget our history? Yeah, that's where I think they got that shit from. Yeah. Because they, well, yeah, that's the basis of that movie. Those mm-hmm. people were there for the test as children, I think, and then yeah. they grew up, and now they're all fucked up because of they're the radiation up, and shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. I think a lot of, well, not anymore because now they're just recycling garbage, but a lot of the Hollywood movies, I've said this before, are kind of based off of real events in our lives. Yeah. You know, Armageddon, right? Big fucking asteroid coming down. We show up there. We fly up, fucking drill it or whatever the fuck they did. Maybe that happened. Or maybe something similar happened and the asteroid just happened to go the opposite direction. Or I think on the same lines as what you just said, it's one of those things where... Uh, a government document gets leaked or something like that or mm. gets declassified or for, through a uh, 
foyer act or whatever. And it's a piece of paper that says, in the event an asteroid is hurling at the Earth, here is our plan of what we would do if that happens, and here's our plan of how we would fix it. And then, you know, it gets, you know, it, it doesn't go out through the mainstream media because right. why would they do that? But, you know, through channels of important people, it gets passed along and gets to a fucking producer in Hollywood, and he's like, you know, that's a good idea for a movie. Actually, I think I just figured out how this all happens. Lolita Express, not trying to, you know, be funny here, but seriously, let's say we know politicians were on that plane. Politicians went there with Hollywood movie stars, Hollywood producers. Oh. They start partying, hobnobbing. They talk about, hey, what do you got working on the, the plant there, Bill Clinton? What you got going on? Oh, well, we just you know, came up with an idea. If this asteroid comes up, we would send a drill team up to put a bomb on it you know, and explode it in there into a million pieces that are small enough that won't really affect Earth. Oh, no, shit, cool. He's writing that shit down yeah. <laughs> on the fucking miner's asshole. And then goes home after he bangs the miner's asshole and then writes the script. Way to go, Ridley Scott. And, and when Dave says miner, he's not talking about a coal miner. Yeah, I'm talking about he's a miner He's talking kid. about a child. <laughs> because that's what happened. Seriously. And if you're not sure what the fuck Dave's talking about, wait till next week. That makes total fucking sense, dude. I think I just figured it out. Yeah, it does. I'm telling you that it's shit like that. Yeah. That, that a lot of the... Any new original idea that hits Hollywood with this kind of thing, mm-hmm. probably something close to that yeah. happens, and that's how you got the story. Yeah. Obviously, not a whole lot's getting to Hollywood anymore because all we're getting is recycled garbage. Yeah, because all the big wigs are not hanging out with the kids oh, anymore because well, they're in trouble. It's partly that. And the other thing is, yeah, you can't be seen with certain people because the facilitators aren't facilitating getting the two yeah. together all their drug to dealers the have gotten same. arrested <laughs> yeah you know what in, i mean in a way uh it's that and the fact that yeah i mean all the key players have been taken down so yeah when your pizza doesn't get delivered anymore because oh, there's no more delivery pizza mention all kinds of things like <laughs> hot dogs and stuff like that i mean it runs yeah, so man. deep and, and next week we're starting that i can't wait if we make it that far yeah but seriously now this is why we're gonna get killed because we just figured out exactly how hollywood works well, I think it's known. <laughs> you I, mean, know what I mean, I think it's out there already. I don't think we're the first ones. However, we mm-hmm. may be some of the few that are talking about it. Mm-hmm. I know there's lots of people out there that don't believe any of it and probably don't believe any of the shit that's being talked about in this episode. Yeah. But, like I said last episode, he's got no fucking reason to lie. Yeah. And like you said, too, car- compartmentalization. Maybe this is what they told him. The other guy in the room next door was doing the exact same thing, but they said, yeah, fucking Stan Rumanoff over in Russia made this shit. See if you can re- you know, redo it. You know what I mean? It's an interesting name you grabbed out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't know. I just made it up. No, you didn't. Stan Rumanoff. You know that name. Is that really a name? Yeah. I was going to say Stan Kubrick. That's Lecubric, the but... fucking guy that we watched his movie about he's the guy that was talking to fucking aliens that had the little alien like oh, that in his kitchen oh, wow. and shit. Yeah, Remember? That's, that's Stan no. Romanoff. And ironically, <laughs> he's getting fucking taken down for having child born on his computer. Oh, wow. Remember all that? No, I you do, don't remember? Yeah. Yeah, well. We talk about so much shit, I can't believe I pulled that name out of my ass. It's then. interesting that you, you're tied <laughs> aliens and child porn kind of connection in one name. And not even meaning to. That is. Well, see, that's how the mind works, though. 
Yeah. I don't even know where I was going with that anymore. We should probably uh, <laughs> find out what happened on Bob Lazar's first day. <laughs> right. You were, you were going with, uh, yeah, where were you going with Stan Romanoff? Oh, oh, oh yeah, the compartmentalization yeah. part yeah. piece of it, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, make up a different name. No, no, just go with it. <laughs> All right, so in this room, this is, yeah, Stan Romanoff, the Russian, made this. And then they go to the next one, and they say, Kim Jong-il Boom Bang Ching, the, the first one, like three grandfathers ago, made this in Korea. Can you fucking reverse? Something's not working. Fucking make it work. Yeah. So those are the three stories. And then in Bob's case, I said, yeah, this is alien shit. Here's some fucking alien stuff, and which was actually just like reptiles. his life thinking and believing that. Because that's what he was told. And so these other two guys. And they're guys, not allowed to talk. He's not allowed right. to talk to Stan. Doesn't even know there was a Stan in no, he, a... he knows a Stan works. They've seen Stan, but they not they know they're not allowed to communicate. Oh, yeah. It could be, too. They don't know what they're working You'll on. You'll see. Oh, okay. Keep watching All the interview. Right. He actually talks about the guy he worked with. Which he goes into way more detail in this interview than he did in the movie about Barry. Oh, yeah, I remember Barry now. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, keep going. Not Obama. Barry his. Barry. (laughs) (laughs) I think Michelle just stopped in the studio for a second. All right, let's let's see what he did on his first day. I think it was a lot of paperwork. Yes. You accept a job, they take you out there. Yeah. It's. The first day, really, I didn't really get to see a whole lot. The first day was essentially just paperwork. That's when I flew into Area 51 proper. And I left uh, McCarran Airport and flew what they call the Janet flights. Just, um, you know, a passenger plane from Las Vegas to Area 51. And it was really just going through a mountain of paperwork that day, Uh, from security clearances to... um, God, there was it, it was like two or three hours of just solid paperwork, and that was that was really an uneventful first day. How long of a flight is it from McCarran Airport to Area Fifty One proper? Uh, I believe it's probably no more than like twenty minutes. Oh wow! I think it's. Have you ever been on a flight from Chicago to St. Louis? Chicago to Rockford, even shorter. What was that like fifteen minutes? Yeah, it was more taxiing than flying. Yeah. But yeah. Oh my god, that's stupid. Why even take that flight? So when we were kids, uh, my parents wanted us to get used to flying. So they flew us from Rockford to Chicago, and then Chicago back to Rockford. And then the following weekend, we did the exact same thing. We did, I think we did it three weekends in a row. And then the fourth weekend, we flew to uh, Orlando. Uh, so they wanted you to get ready for the big flight to Orlando yeah. by doing... <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God! This is, how long have I known you? And every time <laughs> I find out some weird, interesting little thing that's like yeah. blows my mind away. Yeah. Well, you know I hit. Flew, you know three all, weekends in a row. Yeah. From Rockford to Chicago, Chicago back. And yeah. how much did that cost? Uh, back then, it was probably like thirty bucks a person. Wow. You're, you know. I told you. Can you bring your dad years, in here one time? I just want to talk to this all guy. All four years of high so school, I, I lived in Illinois, but I had a season pass to Disney. I told you that, right? No. I think I still have my last season pass to Disney at home somewhere. <laughs> all four years of high school, I had a season pass. A year pass to fucking Disney. I could just show How my How many card. times did you fucking fly down there for that? Then? Oh, God. We were there. I spent more time in either Vegas or Orlando than I did anywhere else. Vegas because their parents gambled. Yeah. Yeah, and we flew for Disney World. We actually flew with a babysitter. We took a babysitter with us to babysit us in Circus Circus. My parents were out gambling and doing shit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that is so fucking interesting. Yeah. 
Like, I mean, I was on planes uh, as a young kid, but never just to, for the fuck of it to, hey, oh, hey get used to it. No, dude, it was, uh, I was I by was, the way, uh, you're going to Ireland. It's a 14-hour flight. Yeah, I didn't do that. You know? I didn't do that until I was fucking a couple years ago. No, fucking, I was big time back then, man, because I did Starlight Theater. So we flew to Orlando. We had a family vacation, but the banquet, because every year Starlight Theater did a banquet. It was a big gala. You get dolled up in like a tuxedo. It's like the fucking Emmys, you know what I mean? And I knew I was winning an award that year, and I wanted to go. My parents were like, oh, you're, we're in Orlando that week. You're not going. I was like, I'm winning a fucking award. I'm going. So we flew to Orlando. The day before the banquet, I flew home alone and uh, fucking met some friends that were there. They picked me up, and I stayed at their house for two days for that day, the fucking banquet. And the next day, I flew back home. I flew back to Orlando. Wow. Yeah. I big time. And both ways, there and back, I got to ride in first class. To this day, right now in real time, my dad has still not flown first class, and he gets fucking pissed every time. Hmm. He tells that story. Yeah, my dad, my son's read first class all the time. I'm like, hey, sorry, dad. I mean, what the fuck? And you fucking hate flying. I do now, yeah. Why? Dude, you know this story, man. I don't, but you did so much flying as a fucking kid. No, but I had Dave, a, you were not on the plane at 9-11. I don't understand why you're scared of- It has nothing to do with 9-11. Of, it was right around that time Because the show frame. Lost came out. I don't understand no. why you're scared of airplanes. Dude, all right, I'm telling the story, then we're going back to fucking Joe Rogan, because this is a Joe Rogan show, not yeah. Dave Block show. All right, <laughs> you've seen Final Destination, right? The first one? Oh, yeah, that's why. There you go. No, it's even, a fucking movie. Even when I tell people the story, they get goosebumps and chills. And they go, holy fuck, no wonder why you don't like flying. All right, tell the story, because now people that have not heard it. All right. So I get on a plane to go to Orlando for the weekend. Okay, just the weekend. My ex-wife and I was going to go to Orlando for the weekend for my birthday. We sit down, and we're talking about what we're going to do and whatever bullshit. And I hear some bickering and some people talking pretty loudly about five or six rows ahead of us. So I kind of peeked my head, because it was only two seats. So I was on the aisle. She was in the, the window. Peek my head around the corner of the aisle, looking down, and apparently there was a family of five, and they were like two in one row, and then two in this one, and another one over here, and it was three on the other side, so they were trying to get people to switch seats so they could all be in the same row, uh-huh. which is like the movie. They moved kids, because they were all college kids or high school kids, they all wanted to sit together with their boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. So they switched seats. And then people behind us, same situation, like one had the aisle, both had aisle seats, they weren't together, so they switched, and everything was cool. So they switched. Oh, that's fucking weird. And as that's all going on, my TV tray drops down. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, so I put it back up, lock it. We're fucking talking. That's fucking weird, whatever. And it drops down a second time. What the fuck? Put it back up. The third time it dropped down, the fucking lock broke. And in the movie, when the lock breaks, it it happens in the movie. Granted, it was only down one time, but still, it happened three times to me. Third time, fucking broke. I'm kind of panicking a little bit. Like, man, this is too eerily close to that fucking movie. Well, then they start the in-flight fucking safety video on the TV. About two seconds in, it fucking just goes, cuts out to black. Like, just fucking stops. Fucking stewardess or flight attendant, whatever they were called at the time, runs from the back all the way up front, does some shit, does some shit. You can hear him and her talking, and then it comes back on. Starts again, and about three seconds later, it fucking pops off again. So then another stewardess, flight attendant, person that works there, a air attendant, whatever you want to call them, Runs up there. They start talking. They get it going a second time. That would be a third time. Uh, get it going a third time. It fucks up again. And Captain comes on. Uh, we're experiencing technical difficulties. Uh, we were going to shut down the entire plane and reboot the system. Oh, all right, cool. So as they're doing that, they wheel a handicapped dude all the way from the back, all the way to the front, and puts him in the fucking front row. And I'm like, 
where the fuck this guy come from, you know? And there was a handicapped dude in the fucking movie. I'm like, this is too fucking freak. I'm freaking the fuck out at this point, you know? And then everything, like, it goes completely dark and completely silent. Like, you know, when you sit in a plane, you got the fucking air coming down. Yeah. You can hear the engine going. You can hear people putting luggage on the... It was, you could hear a pin drop. It was so fucking quiet. I'm like, what the fuck? It was so eerie and so weird. About maybe a minute to two, and then everything just pops back on. Like, a surge. Everything's back on. Lights, fucking TV's going. The fucking air's coming on. The conveyor belt's going again. Everything's going. And he's like, uh, we're next in line to take off, so we're going to go ahead and taxi out there. We're not going to watch the safety video until we get up uh, cruising altitude, 22,000 feet, whatever the fuck it was. And I'm fucking sweating bulls. I, I stopped the series. I'm like, look. I'm kind of freaking out here. I'm having a panic attack. Can I just get some Jack and Coke or just give me some Jack or give me a beer or something? I'm really freaking out. Sir, we're not doing the beverage cart until we get to... I was like, I understand that, but I'm really freaking out right now. I really fucking need something. So she runs back, gets me a Jack or where the fuck it was, and I slam it, give it back to her. We start our taxiing. We take our takeoff. Now, I've never in my entire life up until that day, in real time that day, never flown out of Midway. And Midway is more downtown than O'Hare. So it's a mile. Midway's a fucking shit. Buildings and shit like that. And because you had mentioned 9-11, it was shortly before 9, or shortly after 9-11 that this happened. And we're taking off. It was really rocky. And we hadn't seen the video and all these things. And the plane shut off. I was freaking the fuck out, man. And it was really fucking, it was October. It was my birthday. It was windy. It was cold. And we flew, it was turbulence all the way up the descent, fucking, and then we get the cruising altitude and it was not cruising at all. We were hitting every fucking speed bump and air bump, everything you can fucking think of. It was bad. I was freaking out. And then sharp turns in midway, like as soon as you get that, and it's a short ass fucking runway. Yeah. And it was just bad. Freaked the fuck out. Bad flight. Never actually got to see the fucking video, you know, safety video. Thank God nothing happened. Um, and then we land to O'Hare or Orlando. Everything's cool. Have a good time. Fly back. And I'm fucking sweating bullets because I'm freaking out thinking, oh my God, we're going to fucking go through this all again because now I'm on a plane again. So I got hammered in the fucking airport before we got on the plane. And I'm pretty sure I passed out on the way home. But then I woke up as we're descending because the wife at the time wakes me. Oh, we're going to, we're, we're landing. Wake up. And I was sitting in this, the window seat and I opened the fucking window and all I see is buildings and nobody's saying nothing. They didn't say, we're, we're going to start descending now. We see you, we're approaching, nothing, not a fucking word all the way down and never flown in midway. And you, you land and you slam on those brakes and you get slammed in the back of the seat and it's fucking super fast, super crazy. And he lands, and then everybody clapped. And I'm like, what was that shit? It was a really bad flight. It was really turbulent. I'm glad I fucking passed out, you know. And uh captain comes on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, sorry about the uh, initial descent. It was really bad weather, and we had a very small window. We had to go it, so I couldn't tell you we were descending. We just did it. So we got in. Everything's good. We got to get out of here so the next person can land. It's so bad. What the fuck, man? It's crazy. So, so I didn't. Wow. I didn't fly for like five years after that. Everywhere. Buddy of mine got All married in Vegas. because of that damn yeah. movie. <laughs> Buddy of mine ma- got married in Vegas. I fucking drove out to Vegas for his wedding. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. You know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the long version, or the short version of that story. Yeah. I talked really fast just to get it all in there. Right. So, all right. Well, let's see what happened on Bob Lazar's second day. Yeah, let's do that, and I'll tell another flying story. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a 95-hour episode. When did things get weird? When did you realize, like at what point in time did you say, hey, this is not normal work? Like, this doesn't even seem like it's from this planet. That, I can't tell you what day that occurred on because so much time has gone by. The days have kind of 
fused yeah. into one, and I can't was separate slow, the days. Was it a slow burn, or was there a moment of recognition? Well, there, the the first inkling I had was when I, I came in. Norm, there's this facility that is at S4. It's in the side of a mountain. And normally we had pulled in with the bus and gone around the front through a normal double door. This time that I went in, there were hangar doors open. I went in through the hangar door, and in the hangar door was the disc, the flying saucer that I worked on. I saw it sitting there, and we walked by it. It had a little American flag stuck on the side, and I thought, oh, my God, this finally explains all the flying saucer stories. This is just an advanced fighter, and it, this is fucking hilarious. Right. So I went by. I slid my hand alongside it. I got reprimanded immediately for touching mm -hmm. the thing. And uh, there was a guy, an armed guard, that followed us in and just said, keep your eyes at, forward and your hands at your side and just walk in the door. So that was the first time I had seen anything that was weird. It was some time later that I was introduced to my um, my lab partner, Barry. And we Barry. had some of the subcomponents of the craft Barry. Uh, in the lab. Shop and Barry. Barry was very anxious to get a new lab partner. So he was very talkative and couldn't wait to show me different things. And it was in the demonstration of the reactor working where it caught my attention to where this is technology that doesn't even exist. So, I mean, that was the first time I knew that this is really something different. What was it? What was it? What was, a, what was it about this reactor that made you think that it didn't exist? Technologically, Well, it was the – I actually have to back up because there were some briefings that I read it before that that, um, you know, certainly gave me the impression that this was going to be a weird job. But this was the first hands-on thing. Uh, this was a small reactor about the size of a hemisphere, about the size of a basketball on a metal plate. And when it was running, it produced a gravitational field, a gravitational field of its own. Now, this is something that we can't do. We can't – produce any gravity. The only way we get gravity is from large quantities of mass. But there's no machine we can have that turns on that makes gravity like, uh, you know. Okay, so if we don't have the technology to make gravity, that's what he's claiming right now. What about, now, serious, serious question, but I kind of know the answer because of the bullshit in the world. But what about all the astronauts that are floating around in space because there's no gravity, but then they have gravity. They turn a button. Oh, we've got gravity now. And then they can walk about the ship. Like everything's fine. Hmm. Well. Right. I mean, it's, it's a legit question, but I think it's, I think I know the answer because it's bullshit because well, there's no space Gravity travel. isn't legitimately is not scientifically proven. That's just what we've named the fact that you do, you hold something in midair and it collapses to the table or floor or ground, whatever. Right, right. We call that gravity, but we don't, we can't produce that ourselves. And if what he's, you know, let's say all that's true, then it basically says that all that other shit's bullshit. <laughs> that's what I was saying. I know the answer, but I'm curious. So... I don't know. That's a good you know question I mean? to ask Bob Lazar. We gotta get him on the show. <laughs> like, not like we got Hawkins. I really want to get Lazar on the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
I think we have a better chance of getting Hawkins. <laughs> Again, since he's dead. Um, then we will Bob Lazar because like, he doesn't do interviews. He didn't want to do the movie. <laughs> he did the movie. He, he didn't want to do this interview. And you'll see uh, he gets... He goes, he goes Blink-182 on him? No. No, he answers every question he gets asked. He doesn't give that bullshit. Good. But it, it, it just bothers him. It stresses him out because think about it. Some crazy shit happens to you in your life, Dave. And you tell the story. Mm-hmm. It sounds amazing. It sounds far-fetched. And everybody says, oh, Dave, you were drunk back then. Every, yeah, bullshit. It's all bullshit. You didn't, whatever. And then as time goes on, like more and more shit that you said a long time ago that nobody thought was real starts to happen. And your whole fucking life from that point on, not only are you, you have uh, attempts on your life, mm-hmm. nobody fucking believes anything you've said. And it's just turned your fucking life all around. Like you're headed in one direction and now you are going in a different direction because right. it changed the course of your life because of whatever happened this to experience, you. Yeah. Right. And that's what happened to him. Right. No, I was just curious. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to explain it because I don't know enough about it. Yeah. But I do know that they can't like gravity is not what I don't know how to say it. I feel like I'm saying it wrong. I, it's not that it's not provable, but there's something. Look up what scientists say about gravity. Not what is it? It's not. I thought it's not real, but it's not scientifically. Fact. I don't know if I forget what the fuck it is. What Graham. they say, but okay. and you you can find it. You just I'll look it up. People Google it and. You'll, you'll figure out what I'm trying to say, I guess. You can turn on an electromagnet, and it makes a magnetic field. We can't make a gravitational field. Anyway, this device was producing that. And Barry said, almost like he was bragging, go ahead, try and try and touch the sphere. And I, I couldn't. It, it pushed my hands away, just like two light poles of a magnet. So that was... Uh, so like when you take two magnets and you try to press them together and they yeah, push you have against that, each other? Yeah, that kind of cushioned <laughs> feeling, but you can't you can't get them together. The closer you put them, the more they push. But and you felt that physically with, with my your hand. hand. Yeah. Now there's nothing there's nothing that does that, and that immediately caught my attention. Going, wow, this is something else. What was your thought like when you felt that and you knew that there was nothing that you were aware of that could produce then that this? that connected me to the briefings that I read on the the first day at S four was that uh, you know. Everything that I had read was apparently accurate. What were you reading? I read, it was kind of an overview. This project was to back engineer the alien craft. And specifically, it was to try and back engineer and see if we can duplicate the technology with available materials. Now, to do this, they split the project into you know, many different pieces for several reasons. They do this on all classified projects. So uh, nobody has the complete story, but uh, they compartmentalize oh, everything. There's that we word, the power Dave. and propulsion yeah. system. So what the briefings they gave me were like a one- or two-page overview of some of the other projects that were going on, you know, on the craft. The only reason they do that is just in case what you're working on is connected intimately in some way that we don't know of to one of the other projects. You have to know their, <clears throat> excuse me, their existence. So... Um, 
you know, I that, that, again, they have everything from metallurgy to, um, you know, weapon potential of the craft, and these were all, you know, essentially very short briefings, but mine was just power and propulsion, and it made it very clear that what I read was accurate. So when you were reading that, before you actually saw the reactor, what were your thoughts on what they were describing? If you knew that something like that didn't exist, and they're describing it in the briefings, what did you think you were going to see? I really, I I didn't know at the time. I mean, I was reading, I thought, is this some kind of test? Um, See if you're crazy? Well, not to see if I'm crazy to... Uh, you know, a lot of times they'll take in real high-security uh, jobs. I mean, they'll intentionally insert nonsense into them, um, whether it's to confuse the fact or if for someone was to leak it out, uh, they would carry that information along and know where it came from. So I read through the documents, but, you know, I didn't know if this was, you know, part of some kind of test right. or... Um, you know, or, or what? Or was it potentially realistic? I mean, I really didn't consider it being <laughs> all that possible as far as being uh, the actual thing that I was going to work on at the time. How did they turn it on? The the reactor? Yeah. The reactor can be turned on or turned off in a lot of different ways. Um, the way Barry showed me, it, the hemisphere is removed. There's a small tower in the middle. When you put the hemisphere on, the reactor activates. The reactor shuts down. It's it's load sensing, so if there's if there's no load on the reactor at all, it shuts down. When there's a, a load present on it, it starts up again. Load meaning, uh, you, you can consider it an electrical load. So, although it doesn't necessarily operate electrically, there's no wiring that connects any of the subcomponents together whatsoever. They just have to be in the immediate vicinity. It's a uh, it is but the stuff is borderline magic. Yeah. And that's essentially where we left it, you know, when I left the project. So there was no progress made. There was some progress. I mean, we did identify at least we think some processes and and had a rough idea, we think of what was going on, but How long did um, you work there? I think this is a problem that they've had for a long not time. Not super long. And um like you know, the, I was replacing somebody that Barry worked with prior to me. And I think there was some horrific accident that I didn't have a whole lot of information on, but, you know, Barry alluded to that. A horrific accident, like where someone died or? Yeah, where somebody died. Because they were trying to tamper with things or figure out how something worked? Yeah, the reactor in particular. (laughs) But yet he let you touch it. Yeah, I think what they were trying to do was cut into one. Oh, now, they had, they had more than one there, and I, that was supposedly there was an unannounced nuclear test, and that's what it was. At the time, remember, they were still doing underground nuclear tests at the test site. Um, so basically, what I'm getting out of what he's saying here is that they, whoever was working with Barry before they brought Bob in tried cutting into one of these things, and it fucking... Like, exploded on them, killed them, basically. And it made such a fucking impact that they had to come out and say, Oh, yeah, we were just uh, doing a nuclear test. So, you know. We, I bet you could probably find out when Normally, we, we announced this, but we didn't. This is a surprise when that was their cover story. Right. That's what I'm getting out of what he's saying. Yeah, here. no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and you probably could go back and find it in the records mm-hmm. of, 
unannounced nuclear test and figure out the date and see just how long before he started working there. But why didn't Barry die? Was Barry not working that day? I don't know. He was working late. Barry might have been the Bob at the time because the other guy was the Barry. So then Barry's still there. Barry got promoted. Bob comes in. Now he's fucking low man totem pole, you know? I don't know. But from what I understand, according to Barry, there was an attempt made. Now, this must have been a pretty desperate attempt because it's not a very scientific process to cut, you know, analyze something that way. But it looked like they used a plasma cutter or something like that to cut into an, ex- an operating reactor. How many of these things did they have? They had nine, nine craft altogether. I only got hands-on with one of them, so I can't really say what the, uh, how the others operated. Did but- you see the other ones? Yeah, at one time and only one time, the bay doors uh, between the hangars were all open, and I could see all the way through. And were they all exactly the same? No, they were all different. Different shapes? Yeah. But they were all from somewhere else? Yeah, absolutely. Now, did anyone make any attempt to explain or to to tell you where they came from? No, no. No one is the least bit interested in letting everybody know all the facts. They want to give you the minimum information that's necessary to complete your task. So you're not getting the story of where they came from. You're not getting the story of what, how much progress other people are making. You just focus on the small component. I could never work there. I would ask too many questions, and they'd be like, get the fuck yeah, out of here. Yeah, I was just going to say... I'm going to try and line up an interview with someone that's actually worked at Area 51. I have a guy that's a friend of a friend that is like one of the top Microsoft engineer computer dudes. And they've flown him all over the world to fix top level shit. CIA, FBI, DEA, all that shit. Fix their computers and work on shit. And one time he said that he was put on a plane, so he was going to Vegas, he got to Vegas, they took him off that plane, put him on another plane, flew him, not a very short or a very long distance, got into a bus that had shit, and once they had the curtains brought down, he knew he was going to Area 51. They brought him in, they, uh, I can't remember if he said he was blindfolded to go through the building or not, but they brought him into a room, it was a white room, there was one desk with a computer on it, and there was yellow lines on the floor, and they said, and there was two dudes in there with guns. And they say, you cross that yellow line, you will be shot. <laughs> Your job is to work on this computer, and that's it. And uh, Why the fuck is this the first time I'm hearing this? I just found this out last Thursday. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we need to have whoever the fuck that is in here mm-hmm. under an assumed name. Yeah, I just I just thought about that, hearing that. I don't know why I didn't say something after I found out last Thursday, but yeah, I found out last Thursday. Yeah, I need to be on speed dial for shit like that. Dude. I know, dude. <laughs> what I know. the fuck? I so anyways, I, yeah, just, I just thought about that. Wild. And I'm curious to figure out where else he's gone. Yeah. Definitely see what we can do, and uh, if he wants, we can uh, have a different name. Oh, it'll all definitely that, be a different name. All that good stuff. Whatever he wants to do, but I think that would be a fucking interesting interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll see if I can line that up. I'll work on that. All right. But they gave you some indication that they've been working on these for a while? Yeah. When do you think they acquired these? I really couldn't say. I think they've been around for a while. So they bring you into this room. You 
see this reactor working, you you realize this is nothing that, as far as like the scientific community at, at current time, has the ability to create. What we is, still don't. What is your life like from that moment on? Is that where everything changes? Because you, do you? Re, I mean, I, I would imagine the moment you actually make contact with something that's extraterrestrial, whether it's an object or a being, something where you can actually absolutely be certain it's not from here. Your whole paradigm, the whole world you live in, is now a different place. Well, this is the only time it became exciting. You know, the rest of the time, it was really an, an ominous feeling being at work. But it, at that time, it was exciting. I mean, this was, now I knew we were on the absolute, beyond, actually beyond the cutting edge of science. And I was, I was so absolutely excited to be there every single time I was. Um, you know, it, it, this was a fantastic opportunity, and um, however, in, in short order, it began to concern me. We really have no idea what we're talking about, and the excitement kind of turned to dread at some point because the amount of power we're dealing with is astronomical. I mean, to affect gravity, to produce the effects like this equipment does, takes huge amounts of power. And I've given the um, example before of, you know, taking a small portable nuclear reactor and, you know, putting it back into Victorian times, you know, with the scientists of the time, and just dropping it in a room. And they come and look at it and see that it's producing power and wonder how it works, so they start taking it apart and... As soon as they get some of the shielding off, the people are going to drop dead because of the radiation inside. Now, the people have no idea that radiation even exists back then. But anybody that comes in to check on them will also drop dead. And, you know, there's no reason that that exact scenario couldn't happen with what we're dealing with. We have no idea how the physics operate within this thing. The power levels are, are, like I said, astronomical. Like, it's incredibly dangerous to tinker with something like that. And, you know, in some respects, we were guinea pigs. Just try to find out how to make this thing. So they'd had a series, as far as you surmised, they had a series of different scientists try to back-engineer this thing, try to figure out what this thing was, and they would bring in new people and, like, let's throw Bob at it. Yeah, yeah. And they know, I know I don't know how many, but I knew there was certainly one before me, and I knew he died during the analysis of the or the uh, reactor itself. And you don't know how many have worked on it, and no one gave. This any could have been there for fifty years. It could have been there for five years. When they're giving I, you really instructions, what are they saying? Like when they're giving you direction, they're showing you all the stuff. Like what? What? Are, what are they saying? What specifically? What are they asking of you? Well, essentially what they ask is is what I said. We are just to gather as much information as possible, find out how it operates, and see if we can duplicate it. So, But they never I was told really, you where it was from. They never let you ask questions about where it's from. Well, if the information I read in the briefings was accurate, now what I do have to say is the information that pertained directly to the reactor was accurate. What I read did... I mean, did jive with reality. Um, in terms of how? In terms of how well, it was did. made, how what we saw, how it operated, the materials, how it, you know, turned on, and what was discovered uh, uh, discovered about it. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Whoa. Wow, they're going to throw a fucking ad in on us. Cocksuckers. Impromptu discussion there? I'm sorry. The migraine is really no. making it hard for me to think here. Sorry. No, um, we we talked that before the podcast. You tell everybody Bob was getting Bob needed a break because of the migraine. just one of the reasons why I appreciate you doing this. Um, where was I already? We were talking oh, about right, the, you um, explained it. And uh, so there was some paperwork that indicated that this was from the Zeta Reticuli star system. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now, right. how they obtained that? I haven't I haven't the slightest idea, but it wasn't just from the Zeta Reticuli star system. It was what they called ZR3, so it was a third planet in that star system. So there was no other information about it other How than far away is that's that supposedly where the craft came from. Now, is that true? I don't know. I have no way of verifying that, but that was printed. Hot. How far is ZR3 from here? Let's look it up. Like, I've never even heard of that. Have you? Yeah. Um, the Zeta Reticuli. Uh, I thought I typed it in. Um, in one of those early abduction um, cases, you yeah. know, there's been abduction cases. Yeah, yeah. And in one of those early abduction cases, uh, someone that had been abducted had... Uh, you know, I had this missing time, whatever. I don't remember the exact story, but I believe they were hypnotized. Then later on, through hypno- hypnosis, came out with this Zeta Reticuli shit. Well, whoever abducted her is from Zeta Reticuli and drew some fucking diagram of where it is in relation to where we are. And so, but... Let's not put a whole lot of faith in that because they could have got Zeta Reticuli that they put in this paper to Bob from this fucking abduction story from the 70s. Where that person got it, who the fuck knows. Or it could be real. Real abduction. Because now, if that's true, then... This abduction that happened several years before, that everybody says is bullshit, but nobody had ever heard of Zeta Reticuli, and now they have this fucking craft, and it's from Zeta Reticuli, and they got Bob working out in the fucking 80s, but nobody ever knew about it, you know, you know what I mean? It's one of those things, like, it kind of leads or gives credence to the abduction scenario that everybody thought was bullshit. So then maybe it's all real. You know what I mean? At what point is it real or not real? Right. I don't know. It, well, it's showing a fucking camera. Let's do the Zeta Reticuli star system. Wide binary star system in the southern constellation of Reticulum. From the southern hemisphere, the pair could be seen as a naked eye, double star, and very dark sky. Well, I hope that explains it, Dave. It does. 39.3 light years away. There you go. And so, like, this is the diagram, kind of, that was drawn up. We're not in that. But, so not that one. What is that noise? I don't know. Yeah, 39.3 light years away from Earth. 
Or, oh wait, the radius of that uh, system is 363,017 miles. How the fuck could you ever know Dude, that, it's though? 5.746, or 5,746 Kelvin. That's hot. Yeah, that's pretty fucking hot. That is fucking hot. Yeah, I don't know. Seder Reticuli. The gray aliens. That's what they are saying. Oh, okay. The grays come from there. So that guy came from here. Yeah, but you painted. I still think that's one of my best paintings. Yeah. That's why it's hanging in the studio. It makes sense. So, yeah. There's that. And in the same materials that reference the reactor. Now, I looked that stuff up when I went home. And uh, Zeta Reticuli is a binary star. Um, two stars that orbit orbit one another, and it's only visible in the southern hemisphere, and it's about thirty some odd light years away. So that's literally all the information I have about that. I don't know how they found out it came from there. And you also probably have some suspicions that they give you some disinformation, like you were talking about before, where they would yeah yeah to. I mean, if you ever decided to talk about this, they added a bunch of nonsense to make whatever is factual look ridiculous. Right. Or be able to trace it down. Like, okay, this fax came out and, you know, this Lazar guy said it had, you know, came from Zeta Reticuli, so they knew it was. When you me. read Zeta Reticuli, were you like, what in the fuck is this? <laughs> well, <laughs> reading all of the stuff, it was, what right. in the fuck is this? You're like, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> like, what, no, no, what, it, to me, this was cool. This right. was interesting. I said, I was just excited to be out in a secure area, you know, in the middle of the desert. I said, right. this is awesome. I How old were you at you the know? time? I get as in my twenties. Yeah, so you're probably like, totally geeked out. Oh yeah, it's, it, this was this was great. I mean, I I was excited, so I didn't care. I'm reading through everything, and so yeah, you read through all the Zeta Reticuli thing, but then when you see the actual starship with the little American flag sticker on it, well, I that think, was was that later or before? That that was. Before. So before. So you see the thing before, and you say, oh, this is American. Wait, what's that before? Hard. I, so many years. Yeah, I can't. Either way. It doesn't matter. The days have fused together. It's so hard to separate what happened in each visit to Do the Do you place. remember the thought process when you read that it's from Zeta Reticuli? Yeah. It, 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 it didn't hit me like a ton of bricks or anything. It was just like, yeah, okay. And, you think it was uh, bullshit? I don't know. You just were I like, don't. Okay. Now I don't. I mean, because when I right. read it, I hadn't verified anything. And this was just a bunch of stuff I was reading. And I thought maybe after this, they're just going to give me a test and see what I can remember in right. crazy information. And right. then it would. But um, like I said, when I finally went in with Barry um, and had hands-on experience with what they were talking about, it took on a completely different meaning. So there's a plate, there's this thing that looks like a half a basketball, and when it's on, you can't come anywhere near it. You can't touch it. Right. How is, what is gr gravity about that? Like, the uh, the concept of gravity to most people is gravity is bringing something towards it. Right. Well, I guess you would say it's anti-gravity. Mm -hmm. It's gravity shifted 180 degrees. It's, uh, you know, anti-gravity. And did they have any understanding about what could possibly create this effect? Did they have any areas where they'd like you to look into? No, they... So, you want to know how they could create gravity for the astronauts yeah. or whatever. Maybe it's that we can create gravity, we can't create anti-gravity. That could make sense. You can't make this thing fucking stay in the air. 
I can't make it float like a magician. Right. And, yeah, we can't prevent this thing from going to the ground without doing something else. We can't just... Let it levitate and sit there. Yeah. So maybe that's... he. Maybe he misspoke. Spoke the first time, yeah. In a way. Well, they knew there was a fuel source in it. And they were proficient at making it work. And again, my analogy to something like this is you can drop a motorcycle off in the wagon train days and just leave it with the keys parked outside, you know, somebody's place. Everybody will come around it and they'll poke and prod and eventually they'll turn the key, get it to start and become proficient at riding it. Yeah. But they won't be able to understand what the hell's going on. They won't be able to make the plastic fender, much less anything else. And I think that's exactly the state we were at. We played around with the parts long enough before I got there where they could make the reactor operate, um, take the fuel out, and know that it makes it work. Um, how exactly what was going on uh, in the reactor um, remained a mystery at the time. Um, I think we made some progress on what was going on inside, but I don't think anybody really knew anything. They could just watch what was going on and make note of it. How long were you there? I'd say about six months or so. And what, what oh. progress was made while you were there? Well, we came up with a bunch of reasonably good ideas about how the reactor worked. And one of them was the base, the square base of it was essentially like a cyclotron, which is a small particle accelerator, a circular one. Particle accelerators, linear particle accelerators are just a, you know, long tube essentially, and they accelerate particles with high voltage and, you know, radio frequencies till they reach high speeds. But a cyclotron does that in a small circular area. And there's this very heavy element fuel, element 115, something that wasn't on our periodic charts at the time. But it is now. It is now, yeah. When did it become on the periodic table now, the way the charts now? When Mandela no, I don't arrested. remember. Do you remember when they... Uh, 2004, <coughs> Durmstadt, Germany, I think, is where they first fabricated four atoms. They lasted 220 milliseconds with the atoms. It's nothing, right? And then it later was discovered a couple more times they could fabricate it. Then they gave it, they gave it a place then on the periodic chart after that called it Muscovium. So they told you about this stuff in 1982? Yeah, well, no, we kind of... What, what year was this? 19. It was 80, 88 and 89 when, when I was there. there. Oh, 82 okay. is when oh, 82 I was, was when in Los, Los Alamos. Alamos. I'm sorry. Yeah. So 88, 89, they told you about this stuff. So this was not like... No, they didn't They didn't tell me about it. That's one of the things that this group came up with. Mm. The... Um, um, God, I keep losing my train of thought with this thing. So this one area... this. This element 115 was the fuel. Yeah, it was the fuel. Um, the the world will forgive you I'm for sorry. having a migraine. I, can I just <laughs> yeah, it's really say hard one, to think through I'm, this. Just, just give me a minute. We'll just give you more boost. I just want to say one, yeah, definitely. I was going to say one thing. You know, but for the last 30 years... People have just been on the attack on Bob, you know, getting to know him, the personal effects on his life. It, it's really hard to understand unless you meet his family and his wife. I mean, this is the last thing he wanted to fucking do was have to talk. Yeah, we should explain that, Jeremy, that yeah. you and I had this conversation. For I watched your time. documentary. We had this conversation, and I said, 
I have to talk to him. Yeah. The document there was there's been detractors. There's been a bunch of people that called bullshit on many of the things that you've said, but over time many of the things that you talked about even in the 80s have proven to be true. Things that people said were not true were proven to be true. Element 115 was one of them. Right? Right. Right. Uh, element 115, the fuel they had, was stable. In other words, it didn't decay. It wasn't emitting radioactivity. Um, when they synthesized uh, two or three atoms of the 115, uh, it did decay, and it was not a stable element. So they're, they're kind of two different things. But this is kind of typical. Elements always have, or pretty much always have, uh, stable isotopes and unstable isotopes. Like I think cesium has like, 30 unstable isotopes to it. So, all right, well, hydrogen, for example, you're familiar with hydrogen gas. Um, it's stable. It's not radioactive. But there's also two other types of hydrogen, uh, deuterium and tritium. And deuterium isn't radioactive. It's another stable isotope of hydrogen. But tritium is radioactive. Now, they're all hydrogen, but they just have a different amounts of neutrons. So it's the same thing with other elements and element 115. Depending on the amount of neutrons it has, uh, designates the isotope, but it's 115. They will continue to take uh, or experiment and try and make 115 at different isotopes, and I'm sure eventually they'll come up with a stable version. But it's the stable version that has the properties that we're talking about. So they somehow or another had acquired a stable version. Did they say that the stable version had come with this craft? Yeah, it absolutely it came with the craft, yeah. So at the time, you having a firm knowledge of the periodic chart and knowing what was real and what wasn't real, what was your reaction to having this stable element 115 that wasn't even supposed to exist? Well, everything was impossible. Right. I mean, down down to the metal, I, I did get a chance uh, to look inside the craft on only one occasion, and this was important because um, where the reactor sat might have been critical to how it operated, since everything operates without any interconnections, so the placement of components might be critical. So they allowed me to go inside and and look at it. Um, shit, again, I forgot where the hell I am. So you're going into this craft, and what are you thinking when you're inside of it? Like, what are you seeing? It's um, it's a very ominous feeling because it's there are no. First of all, everything is one color. It's like a dark pewter color, and there are no right angles anywhere. It's as if somebody took. Uh, I've said this before, somebody took a, a model out of, and fashioned it out of wax and then heated it just for a short time so everything melted. Everything looks like it's fused together. Everything has a radius of curvature where two uh, items meet. It's, uh, it's a really weird-looking thing. But um, uh, there was almost nothing other than a small foldable hatchway that um, that looked recognizable. Everything was uh, was really unworldly to pick on it, <laughs> a way to describe it. So you you get inside this thing, and it's designed for something that's much smaller than a human being. Yeah, you can't really stand up till you get to the very center of and it. And how tall are you? I'm five ten. And what do you think this was designed for? I'd say something close to half my height. Wow. So these little three foot tallish creatures. Yeah, and the, the the seats were small too. I mean, obviously it was made, you know, for something 
something small. But there is no, like there's there's nothing else in there. There's just seats, the reactor, and some of the subcomponents. There's no there's no control panels. There's no bathroom. There's no no decorative uh, components or artwork or anything that you would recognize or trim. I mean, it's just a very bare bones thing. You're not and, seeing any screens. Well, there are archways around it that are part of the superstructure, and that one of the archways can become transparent. When I was in there, there was another group working on one of the archways, and you could call that a screen, more or less. So through that archway, it would be, it would maintain the solidity, the the solid, whatever metal it was. Yeah, but you could yeah, see it. Yeah, it just became transparent. Yeah. I saw that happen once or twice before I left. Did you ask any questions about what the fuck? No, that there's was? no asking. There's questions. no asking questions. No. But when you watch something become transparent, you answer them. and you right. realize it's still there, but you can now see through it. Yeah, I mean, uh, now that's not that impressive. We do have some liquid crystal materials that are like that. You know, they I've have seen that in smart glass. Yeah, yeah, they call it smart glass. So <laughs> this is just, uh, and I don't know if the craft is made of. You know, an advanced metal or a ceramic. It was cold to the touch, so um, you know I would lean and more again, towards a metal. You're not allowed to ask questions. No, the only they work on the buddy system, so I can only exchange ideas and talk to Barry. Now this really interferes with. I science think you had brought because science yeah, is based on yeah. and yeah, that's what I was talking about. He can only talk to one to one fucking guy. That's weird. He man. could say hi to Shelly over here. But can't ask her any questions. But can't talk to you her. can't discuss what the fuck you're doing out here. And that makes sense. You know? So fucking... It does make sense, compartmentalization. You know? You don't want any one person to get the whole picture. Because then that person knows everything, you know? It's only certain people that get that privilege. Yeah, and then... Like you said, if if something does get leaked, they know who leaked it because exactly. only and I two think, people knew about and it. And I think Bob's getting a story, Barry's getting a story, or maybe Bob and Barry both getting the same story. Shelly and Jane are getting a different right, story, and then right. you Stan and Steve are getting a different story. Right. You know, everybody's getting a different fucking version. So, and like you said, half of it's like half of it's probably truth, and the other shit's fucking bullshit. Yeah. So this and they won't on, know what's, which is which. Yeah. You know, so maybe this whole fucking alien shit's bullshit. It maybe it was. Be. He mentioned earlier the tra- time travel. Maybe some time travel dude dropped it off and said, here you go. Has he ever publicly talked about time travel? Does he believe in that at all, did he say? I honestly don't know. Because he doesn't do interviews. Yeah, I know, like, I know, I know. He doesn't talk. He never wrote a book. I mean. You said I could read the book. Is that the book that Jimmy wrote then? Did I say Bob wrote a book? I don't think. Yeah, Bob you said wrote a read the book. It's not the same as the movie's not the same as the book. No, no, I was talking about. I was just making a reference of oh. like, you know, the if you read a book and then they make a movie, how the movie's never yeah, as good yeah, as a book. Yeah. You know, I wasn't saying oh, okay. there's an actual okay. book. I yeah. was just basically saying that this is kind of the book version of the Bob Lazar movie. Okay. Because it's more detail. Oh, dude. Side note too, we're you know those little. Like uh, public libraries that are like small in front of people's houses, like a free library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna do one at our house, and what I'm gonna put in mine in my books that I'm gonna put on are all conspiracy based type shit. I think. Nice. And then whatever Joy wants to put. So you guys are building a little. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I see those all over the place. Yeah, yeah I got a 
go online this weekend and see like what the the zoning ordinances are and stuff. But we're gonna we're gonna put one in the next couple of months. Nice. Put yeah. all them kind of books out. That's there. all I'm gonna put in there. <laughs> That's awesome. I yeah. like it. Sorry, just free discussion. And ideally, you get a bunch of guys together, exchange ideas, work on problems, and that's how things move forward. But they're so over-the-top concerned about security, they split everything off, and everybody becomes stagnant. It, 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 it just destroys any of the progress you can make, or at least makes it go so slow, um, they, I think they wind up shooting themselves in the foot. Which is probably why they arrived at this bottleneck that they needed to get this madman with a jet-powered Honda to come in and see what he can do. <laughs> I think that was an act of desperation. I think they wanted someone that thinks out of the box and let, let's just give this guy a try here because right. they weren't and, uh, and they might have done this you know. four more times since uh, you know up to the point in time today, assuming they're still working on this thing. And when you see this craft and you're inside, was there any indication that there was an area that they would use to control it to pilot it? was there a pilot seat was there s- there were three seats they sat around uh the reactor was in the dead center of it and then equidistant around there were three seats so and that's s- all the there was a a large you would they're not consoles they are large rectangular objects also spaced equidistant around the center um, there's nothing on them. There's no buttons. There's no lights. There's and no they controls. look the same color, the same Everything thing. is the same it's color. It's just a different shape. Right. And um, directly underneath them, there's three levels in the craft. Uh, the main level is what we're talking about. Directly under that, those are the gravity amplifiers, the big rectangular objects. Underneath them are the gravity emitters that look like, for lack of a better word, a trash can hanging on a pipe, three of those. And then... The top layer, I, this is just my personal belief, I think that has to do with a uh, a navigation or their version of a computer uh, with some planar panels, sensor panels around the craft that we would call portholes, but they're not portholes. They're just black areas. And I think that just determines its you know, position in space. But I was, I, I physically was in the center section and I stuck my torso in the bottom section and hung upside down so I could see how the gravity amplifiers were positioned. What is the, the roughly the size of this thing? It's a, I think it – I don't remember from being there, but um, after all this stuff was over, I had uh, John Andrews, a guy from the Testers Model Corporation, and you know we sat down and tried to figure out from what I saw um, – and known sizes of things, and we came up with 52 feet in diameter. And so it's I think fair, that's fairly a, small. Yeah, yeah so I, I think that's a fair. You didn't say anything about sleeping coordinates. Now you said there's nine of them, and you got a brief glimpse at the other. I ones. don't think where the, the fucking aliens go to the bathroom or sleep, yeah. because he like he said, there's no bathroom. Right. Why the fuck do they go to the bathroom? They don't consume the way we do either, probably. Probably not. But like I said, there's no sleeping quarters either, so they don't even sleep probably. So you, well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know. What the fuck are these things? You know what I mean? It's a whole whole new, like, if it comes out that alien, these types of aliens are real, I mean, to figure out how are they alive? Like, what's keeping them alive? Mm -hmm. How do they sleep? Do they sleep? Do they need to sleep? You know what I mean? Like, they're not human, so... Maybe you don't need oh, that shit. They looked completely different. One looked like a, I called a jello mold, 
and it it looked like a classic jello mold with the rippled sides to it. One was a very flat disc, um, you know, like a oh, I don't know, like a straw hat or something like that. That was sitting up on its edge, and the thin part of it had it looked like a projectile had been fired through um, the edge of it. So I don't know if they were attempting to, to see if the metal could be penetrated or if something or if that's where the thing came from maybe it was shot down um but that was the only one where i saw there was you know actual physical damage to it and that one was roughly the same size they're all uh, they were kind of too far away to, to tell hmm. and did there was several teams that were working on the propulsion system so there was different pe- teams that were working on these different a- aircrafts i i don't, don't know. know i could only assume right. Now, when you're s- sitting in this thing and you're s- looking at this otherworldly craft, your your goal is to try to figure out how this thing functions. Your goal is to try to figure out how this reactor, I mean, it, it would imagine they would give you more time than just one day to check that out. Oh, it, it wasn't one day. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is, Barry was there, I think Barry was sleeping there. I'm sure they had, now that that isn't weird. I mean, up at the Tonopah test range where they work on stealth fighters, you know, you go, I think, three weeks on, one week off, and you, you stay up there, too. So it's not weird to stay up at the test site. Right. So, um, yeah, I think he pretty much – he acted like he's been up there for a long time. Yeah. Um, but – He's um, still there. Yeah. Who knows? Do you, do, you, do you have contact with this guy? No. Oh, no. I, I wish I did. I kind of thought he was going to come out. After I did, right. and I think I took so much flack, and it's so much shit for what went on. I think actually I wound up helping security there, and everybody became afraid of you know doing or saying anything after that. So, what kind of reports did you have to give? Like, so you're not making much progress, right? You're just trying to figure out what this thing is, and it seems impossible. So, well, we didn't personally make them. I mean, we were always th- – there was never a lot of information that we gained. Um, the guy, uh, you, you would call him our supervisor. His name was Dennis Mariani and kind of a military-looking guy. And he would routinely pop in, you know, during the day and, you know, hey, what's going on, guys? And he would essentially relay any information, anything new we came up with. I mean, he was our go-between you know, where we presented him the information, then he took it to wherever they were, you know, assembling all the data from everybody. Now, I assume you're working normal days, like an eight-hour day? No. No? No, it was really weird that I would be only called in on certain times and certain days, and they would be weird hours, too. Uh, most of the time was later in the evening. I mean, I can get a call at 11 o'clock at night, and they'll say, you know, it's now 11 o'clock, um, by 11.45, you need to be at the McCarran Terminal, and, um, you know, we'll let you know when uh, we have more information. But what did you do while you were there? If, if you're looking at this object, this reactor, and you can't figure out what it is or how it works, other than the fact that it works on this element that we don't even know about. Sure. I mean, the thing was to – what you do in you know – with anything. If you're trying to analyze it, all you can do is perform tests. And all we did is try and come up with every kind of test we possibly could. I mean, we tested, you know, it, it violated a lot of what we thought was impossible to violate. I mean, one of the 
the first laws of thermodynamics. I mean, essentially, any machine, any device that operates always makes extra heat. Nothing works at 100% efficient. Even the headphones you're wearing, anything that takes power, some of that power is going to be con converted to heat, and it's just wasted. This didn't. I mean, we looked at back then we had infrared cameras. They're different today, but back then you had to pour liquid nitrogen into the camera to cool the sensor down and, um, and get these infrared images you've seen. But it never got, no matter what the load was on the reactor, it never got above the ambient temperature, which is impossible. I mean, you're, you know, pulling out crazy. huge amounts of power, and nothing ever gets warm. So it's got something that cools um, it. We tried measuring magnetic fields, and there was, was nothing there. So we started playing around with the uh, emission from the emitters, the gravity wave itself, and saw what we could do with it and how it was focused. So we really spent all our time just trying to see what the stuff can do and what we can control. So you were seeing what it could do, but you couldn't ever figure out how it was doing it? No, not really. I mean, we really we really could only use a, or come up with a best guess. Um, now, I can't say we really, <laughs> that I could absolutely state for certainly, or certainty how anything actually worked. Now, how do, did you know at all how they were piloting it? Because some they were doing some tests where they were having these things fly around in the sky. And this is what gets us deeper into your story. Right. Um, I was out there for uh, one test. Um, right. In fact, I was in with Barry in the lab, and Dennis came in and said, uh, we're about to run a test. Why don't you guys come out? Or he, I think he said, Barry, why don't you come out here and bring Bob with you? Uh, we went out there, and the craft was already outside the hangar and was just preparing to lift off. Now, they were in communication with somebody in the craft. So there was a person in the was craft. A, yeah, there was certainly a person in there. Now, it's not a comfortable place to be in because it's small. So the guy has to be sitting on the floor in the middle, uh, <laughs> my best guess. And this is the Chris same specific craft style. that you yeah, worked that on was, because you were the, that was the only craft that you were in. The only one okay. that I, I touched and worked on. Um, and it, it quietly lifted off the ground, which was incredibly impressive to see. Um, quietly or silently? What's, well, quietly <laughs> because it <laughs> Did it, it make produced, some sort of a noise? It, it produced... Um, a little corona discharge from the bottom. A corona discharge is kind of a high-voltage brush, little bluish glow discharge. As it was lifting off the ground, you can hear a, a slight hiss sound. Now, as soon as it cleared the ground by about 5 or 10 feet, maybe even less than that, the hissing stopped and the blue glow disappeared. So it lifted off quietly, and then it hovered silently, if you want to be specific. <laughs> wow. So then what kind of maneuvers was it doing? It took off, for that particular time, it took off, moved a little around, around to the left and right, and then sat back down. The um, the craft itself... That would be so fucking um, freaky to see. Mm -hmm. They communicated with it with a reg because I saw the guy talking in uh, a regular VHF radio to the person in the craft. And I, I even saw the frequency that was on the, the frequency counter of the... Uh, communication the transceiver there um but what's weird is he shouldn't be able to communicate 
with the craft with a radio. The radio the radio wave should bend around the craft. I mean, it, it shouldn't be possible. Every single thing about these the craft and the way that they operated sense. didn't make any sense to us. I mean, that's something we talked about for a while after. Why should the frequency bend around the craft? Well, you really have to look at the way the gravity wave comes out of the craft. There's a, the reactor's in the center, and there's a waveguide that goes up to the top. There's actually a small appendage that sticks out of the top of the craft, and it produces a heart-shaped gravitational distortion around the craft. Now, if the craft is sitting in the air and you walk underneath it and look up, you actually cannot see the craft. The light bends around it. You're bending gravity, bends light. It bends radio waves. It's, um, it, it shouldn't be possible to communicate. So he just said, let's recap this for a second. If it was above you and you decided to walk underneath it but looked up, you wouldn't see it. Now that's fucked up because... It is because that's an actual physical thing. Yeah. Right above you. You can see that and now I'm going to walk towards it underneath it and all of a sudden it's gone and I keep walking and then I'll be able to see it again. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's reflective because of the the barrier. But think about this, because, it, I mean, hear about all these fucking UFO sites. You know, you see mm. the thing, all of a sudden it's gone. You know what I mean? Like, clearly there's some ability here through this gravity, anti-gravity, whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. that's able to make it uh, us just not see it anymore. Almost like a cloaking in yeah, a weird way. Say, is it makes sense because there's so many people that say that they look up and they see it or they get you know sucked up into the light, like the tractor beam, but or or they'll be watching it and it'll disappear. Well, it's probably disappeared because it's over them now. Makes sense. Yeah, it's still there. Right, right. Like, I mean, the possibilities are endless at this point. Yeah. If what he's saying is true. Right. Like, it's so interesting. I don't know. Communicate with a craft that has an envelope around it that's distorting all forms of energy. But they were apparently in contact with it. Somehow or another, through some unexplained way that they yeah. didn't bother explaining to you. Mm-hmm. So this thing gets up. It just does some very simple maneuvers, left, right, left, right, goes down. Um, and... Did they discuss this with you? I mean, they said they wanted you to see it. No, they they just wanted no. They they didn't discuss anything with me. It sat it sat down. We looked around for a bit, and Barry said, "Let's go back." We went back in the lab. All we got to do was see it. Um, fast forward um, to some months later, uh, I did have the test flight schedule of the craft. Now they had times they had designated high performance tests. This obviously wasn't one. That uh, was a high performance test. The uh, high performance test went goes above the mountain range, and they do much more radical moves with the thing. Look, this is a prized item, and they're not doing anything like taking it out of the atmosphere or flying around to other countries or anything like right. that. This they just play with this thing right over the test site. Um, but they were doing some radical moves with it, and since I had the test flight schedule, statistically, the amount of traffic in the surrounding areas on the highway was lowest on Wednesdays. And that's why Dennis told us that uh, all the test flights occurred only on Wednesdays. 
because it'd be the least chance that anyone would see what's going on. And this was before the the government had expanded the forbidden territory around Area 51 and Papoose Lake and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I think that occurred after my story came out. Then people started going up on the mountaintops and trying to look down into there, and they kind of freaked out and then did the land grab and pushed everybody back. But, yeah, that I think all that occurred long after I'm sorry, that I came out. So – you're working there, and while you're working there, you're under this crazy schedule. Forgive me for explaining your story. But mm-hmm. you uh, would get these phone calls. You would have to go to the to the airport at 11 p.m., and your wife started thinking that you were having an affair. Yeah, apparently so. Um, now, I did give my permission to have, you know, as, as part of the, you know, security clearance process – um, I, I gave written permission to have the phones monitored and things of that sort. So they weren't doing any covert stuff. They, um, you know, with any queue clearance, or which is civilian top secret clearance or military top secret clearance, they go talk to friends and, you know, place, places you've been, make sure you're not connected to foreign countries. But, you know, monitoring your phone is nothing unusual. However, they insisted that, you know, you don't even talk to your loved one, to your partner, to your wife, whatever, about what's going on. So she was essentially in the dark and didn't know the phone was being monitored. Well, part of the security clearance is that not only do you not have any connections to foreign countries and aren't a maniac, but you have to have a stable home life too. Uh, Well, she started having an affair with a flight instructor. Now, they were monitoring this on the phone, and they knew it, and I didn't. So they stopped me coming in, and their attitude at the time was, um, we need to see how this is going to play out and if Lazar is going to get a little weird or anything. So let's just, you know, hold him off from coming in and, uh, you know, see what happens. And they explained this to you, what was happening? (laughs) Well, after the fact, yeah, because time kind of went on, and there were guys that were following me around, and I started getting a little concerned, going, well, Chet, are they booting me out of the project? And if so, they're not just going to let me hang out at home and go get a new job knowing what I know. So as time went on, I started getting a little concerned. And I took my closest friends and just kind of got together. And I said, hey, remember that job I told you about? This is what's going on. And... uh like, you don't need to take my word for it. Uh, Wednesday night, we need to all go out here. I want to show you what's going on. So I took everybody, and we went out to, um, remember, since I had the test flight schedule, and went outside the base, um, out into the desert, and so everybody could see, you know, one of the high-performance tests. And, uh, you know, it left quite an imprint on everybody, so they knew I wasn't And there's videos crazy. of these tests, right? Yeah, but remember, this is in the... It's in in the dark in the 80s with a big monster-sized camcorder, and you got, Mm -hmm. you know, a bright light jumping around. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we did video of it, but there's no, by today's standards, it's... But is your video specifically available, the video that you took? Yeah, well, George Knapp has it. Is it online? I have no idea. Jeremy? Yeah, I show clips of it in my film. It's it's online, and someone did a deep analysis of it. Uh, It was interesting uh, to take a look at how... Pull this microphone up to your face. Can you about a fist from your face? All right. 
um, you know, to see how his video looks now. But as far as video evidence, I mean, we're, we are talking 80s camp horse. The most important thing is the human story here. Everybody that he took up there on three separate occasions, they don't all like each other. They don't all talk. They all agree on one thing. They saw something that night at the exact point in time and space that Bob Lazar said. And remember, this is 17, 15, 17 miles south of Area 51. No one even knew really about Area 51. We're talking Papoose Lake, and they all agree. They saw something that night they had never seen before, and they've never seen since right when he said it. So that's one of like the six things where I'm like, how did he know? You can dismiss him. I, I tried to dismiss it. But some things we can't get around, and, and there's about five or six of them. How did he know about those? If Jamie wants to find that video right now, what would he look under? Bob Lazar, UFO, S4, Area 51, just kind of like that. Uh, so it's like the S4 UFO video, Bob Lazar. And a guy does an analysis, but you're ana analyzing these 80s videos. Right. He, he, from the very beginning, Bob never said, I have proof of my story and I'm going to tell the world. He said at the very beginning, I cannot prove my story. That's not why I'm telling this. George Knapp convinced him to tell people, and he lived through it. And I, I didn't believe it either until I, I talked with George. Okay, so you you film these this test flight, one test flight, and then you get caught. Actually, it was I think the third time because it, we went out there the first time. <clears throat> everybody saw it. Everybody was amazed because it did some radical maneuvers and. Um, you know, everybody had a lot to say about it. The maneuvers that I've seen, I've seen the video. It doesn't, I don't think there's something we have now that does that. No. In terms and of like a human piloted craft. I mean, I don't know, obviously, what the government. No, it's, it's impossible. Nothing can move like that. And remember, we didn't start filming from the very beginning. You know, it, the, the, we were waiting for something, you know, to happen. The craft took off and then came flying at us, stopped, you know, turned at a right angle, flew back. And then, you know, after it did some, you know, amazing stuff to get the camera. And then we started filming. So it doesn't have all of it on there. It just has some. The way um, I describe it to my friends, and they said, what does this look like? I said, take a laser pointer and then have a wall and then move it around the wall. Like, you know how it moves around yeah. the wall? It doesn't seem like it has anything to do with inertia or physics or it's not in, impeded in any way by the atmosphere. Yeah. That's what it looks like. You're essentially separated from reality, as crazy as that sounds, with uh, being in, in case its own, own gravitational envelope. Inertia is not going to affect it. And, you know, this is, uh, this is how some of those recent sightings of Commander David Fravor I'm sure you've heard of the yes. Tic Tac UFO. I mean, he describes exactly, the, the thing operates exactly the way I was describing. That's why uh, he was interested to talk to me. Um, but we saw this, and, you know, on the way home, it's like, hey, we got away with it. We should try it again the next test flight day. So this became a thing to do. And I think it was on the, the third time that we got caught. I mean, we started becoming a little careless i think we took a motor home out there and, you know i mean it was like the stupidest thing you could like possibly grill, imagine start tailgating yeah it was ridiculous and um again you're in your 20s yeah and you know what was funny was um we went out there and my friend gene huff and i were leaning on the front of a vehicle and just for some reason we just started talking shit like uh well i hope they realize that uh i don't remember what we were saying but you know that 
something about attacking the base or something along those lines and stealing the the craft or something like that. Something we crazy. And um, then about 20 feet in front of us, we see a little green light fall on the ground and roll to us. And unbeknownst to us, now it's pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. There were a bunch of guards standing right out there, and they had a night vision scope where they were like from here to the wall looking at us, listening to us, and the guy dropped it, and the scope rolled over to us, and you could see the green screen. <laughs> you know, we turned the lights on, and all these guys are there. So it was... Uh, Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So we did incredibly stupid stuff and got caught, as we should have, because So when they catch you and they bring you in, then what happens? Well, I went in for debriefing. The following day, I went to Indian Springs Air Force Base, which is kind of a defunct base that they used to use at the nuclear test site. And this is when they brought out um, the transcript of the phone call with my wife. And, you know, they sat me down and we said, you know, when we meant to keep the secret, we meant you can't tell your friends, right? You know, and it just being sarcastic and trying to. Mm -hmm. um, and then they got real serious. Uh, but this is where they, you know, took the transcript out and were reading me what uh, my wife and, you know, our friend we're talking about, and uh, I don't know, it was a hard time. So what happens from there? What do they do with you? Why don't they arrest you? Why I don't, don't, they I don't know. I don't know why. I'm not sure they exactly they knew what to do, but they did let me go that night, and I went home. And th this is kind of when the most stressful part started. Because you're realizing that you're being monitored yeah, 24 now, Yeah, now I know not only am I being monitored, but now I know I'm in trouble. And uh, it wasn't a short time after that that I contacted, you know, at that time the only investigative reporter I had heard of in Las Vegas was George Knapp. And, um, you know, told him some of the story because I had no idea what the hell was going to happen at that point. So George Knapp tries to dissect your story, tries to find holes in it, tells it, puts it online, and makes everybody aware of it, and that's how I found out about it. Yeah, to make a long story short. <laughs> what, what happens, yeah, to really make a long story short, what happens from there on? I mean, do they contact you and say, hey, Bob, it's probably a good idea if you shut up? How? Well, well, they try to label you as crazy? Was there... There were, boy, there were a lot of things that happened, at, you know, between that point. Um, I'm leaving out a lot of stuff uh, to fill in the story. Uh, we'd have to go back to Los Alamos and, and well, I really don't want to talk about that. The um, top secret weapons stuff that you were working on. No, I'm talking about the 115. Mm -hmm. Um well, I don't know. I have to think about how I'd. What is the problem? With this? <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get myself into more trouble by admitting something. So, um, I just have to dance around a couple. He was okay. rated but, just during the filming of the movie. People yeah, thought it was the movie's made out. great. That, by the way, that to me is and, crazy. Uh, it's on Netflix right now. If anybody wants to check it out, and if you're one of those people like me, who um, you know, I've always loved the idea of UFOs. I became extremely weary talking to people who are UFO believers and UFO fanatics because there's so many of them that are full of shit. And not just full of shit, they're, they're childishly delirious. Like the way they talk about things, I mean, there's so many people that are 
that I'm in contact. They they reach me in the night and they explain to me what we're doing to the ocean is wrong and like you're like okay. This is one of the reasons yeah. I didn't want to do the show. I'm sure. Uh, well, no, it, it, <laughs> one it's of no. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, oh, it's yeah, no joke. We've had people literally camp out on our front lawn, and yeah. uh, you know, in some ways, I can relate to some of these people. You know, maybe some of them did really have some kind of experience or saw something, and it, all their friends think they're crazy. But hey, now there's this guy I heard on the radio, and. Uh, at least he knows I'm not full of shit, so I got to talk to him. Right. And so most of the correspondence I get are people trying to get a hold of me going, Bob, you, you got to listen to me. I'm, I'm coming to talk to you. I'm, you know, right. I'm driving from Oklahoma or whatever. And, 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 but some of them are just fucking batshit crazy and <laughs> yeah. they're, they're frightening. There's and, a lot of schizophrenics that are involved in the conspiracy world. So there's a lot of people that have real issues. Joe, I, I, it would be a disservice to your audience to not say that we have to look at what's going on now and understand. I've heard a, on your show a bunch of stuff about what's going on now. And to not really understand what's going on now, you can't see Bob's story in the correct light after 30 years. And at some point, we should just touch upon that. Um, the, the biggest being that things like the Tic Tac UFO case that, that came out, I've heard people even on the show say, oh, there's a glitch in the radar. You, that's a data-poor perspective. You just don't know yet what's really going on. Commander Fravor, I was able to get the interview with him to talk with him way before it became public. I, I got that from him. He saw it. Other pilots saw it. This is a big thing that's going on right now. They, they had more sightings on the East Coast recently cubes with, with spherical ores. These are not aerodynamic, and these are the people we trust to defend us on 9-11. Commander Favor protected Los Angeles on 9-11. So we trust them, but they're not trained observers. Radar, individuals see these things, and the big, the big one, just to throw it down so we can consider a story a little differently, there's more depth to it. The big one is the United States government has admitted that they have been continuously studying the UFO phenomenon that program was called ATIP, Advanced Aeros or sorry, uh, was called AWSAP. That that's the mother program. George Knapp got that out. They they, they announced through the New York Times about ATIP, but AWSAP these acronyms: AWSAP, Advanced Aerospace Weapon Systems Applications Program. Who cares? That was the mother program. So they've admitted we didn't stop studying UFOs in 1969 with Project Blue Book. We don't think it's crazy. We actually want to reverse engineer the technology. That's why on your other show, you said, what's this AAV thing? It's like they're making up another UFO name. Well, hold on. There's a reason. Because in the documents, the, D the DIA documents that George Knapp released, that everybody said was fake till now they know is real, they call them AAVs, which is Advanced Aerospace Vehicles. People are getting the acronyms wrong. So the, the reason for the terminology change is so that we can mimic what we're reading in the DIA documents. People can look for that now. So they changed the names to get people away from UFO or UAP, even like Hillary Clinton said on air, right? So What are you talking about? Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton <laughs> informed the public on Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, Jimmy, we don't call them UFOs anymore. We call them UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Right, so she kind of was giving. The Clintons are very into the UFO topic. Senator Reid, you know, he he's done a lot for the for the subject, the study of it. Right, so she informed the public so they could look for the right term. So these terms are important because the DIA in those documents they've been calling them AAVs for quite some time now. So when they DIA? changed the name to anomalous. No, uh, that, that's uh, kind advanced, of a misnomer. No, so it, 
they always mess around with things, but it's actually agency? advanced. Okay. Right, but aerospace. when they're describing it in the news, they were calling it anomalous totally. aerospace vehicles. Totally, and that's cool. They were also saying anomalous aerospace threats, AAT, right, because they oh. want the sense of a threat. Right. So, so my point is, all of the, if people don't know this now and they think this stuff is, is fantasy, this, this part of it, that we're studying it, that we take it seriously, we're spending money on it, and that we're getting great data from, from visual pilots to, to radar. That's why we know it's aerospace. They dropped from 80,000 feet. But guess what? That's the top scope of the SPY-1 radar is 80,000 feet. So the radar system they were using, it was coming from above that. So my point is this. If you don't understand that this is happening, you're just behind the curve because you don't have the information because of the stigma that you're talking about. I saw you get totally upset with the UFO topic. I met you first when you were totally upset with the UFO topic. It's the people. When? When, when you're doing your... Pull this mic oh, I'm sorry, man. When you're, when you're mm -hmm. doing your show, you know, the Joe Rogan questions everything, mm -hmm. I could see how, how frustrating it is. Trust me, I have been frustrated to hell. Luckily, my mentor is George Knapp, and he's taught me the pitfall, pitfalls uh, as I went through it. My whole point in this rant right here is just that we have to now look at Bob's story, but knowing the facts, not someone saying it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a glitch. They're not. And so if you don't know that, you just don't have the information yet. Well, not just that. Knowing the facts as we know them in 2019, not in 1988. Absolutely. Right. And, yeah. and so what has he said that has come true? He's totally unimpressed with it, right? What has he said that's come true? So I was like, Bob. They've announced gravity as a wave. You were right, man. You're vindicated. And he looks at me and he's like, well, if you think about it, Jeremy, I had like a 50-50 chance. He was not very impressed, right? But when did they announce gravity as a wave? So they detected, in a sense, they detected gravity waves. And that and was, who, are, who is they? You might know more. There's two black holes that were colliding, and that's how they were able to detect. Yeah, somebody, Bill, I don't know which group it was or what part of the government. That's uh, what Google's for. Yeah, Would it? but they, um, you know, built a gigantic gravity wave detector and pretty much detected. That there are such the, things as gravity waves. First yeah. observation of gravitational waves, it says it was in 2016. Okay, the first observation of gravitational waves was made on 14th of September 2015, as announced by the LIGO and Virgo collaborators on the 11th, of February 2016, previously gravitational waves had only been inferred indirectly via their effect on the timing of pulsars in binary star systems. Dun, dun, dun. The waveform connected by both LIGO, LIGO observatories, matched the predictions of general relativity for, gravi for a gravitational wave emanating from the inward sp I'm trying to get this from the inward spiral and merger of a pair of black holes around 36 and 29 solar masses and the subsequent ring down of the single resulting black hole if that makes any well, sense the, to you I mean right. oh, yeah. yeah it's no. he was in the, the 80s, anyways the predominant theory was gravity is produced by gravitons okay you know part theoretic par theoretical particles but um they're not. They're waves. They're not particles. And that's so what, the thought is that the way we experience gravity, it's based on mass, which is why the moon, which is roughly one quarter the size of the Earth, has one sixth of the Earth's gravity. So there's some sort of a computation you can make based on mass. Right. And and remember, we can observe the effects of gravity, but we have no idea what it is. 
All we can do is observe it, and we can't make it. The only way you can make gravity is just put more mass together, and so, it's just a, a product of gravity. But if you can make a, if you have a machine that makes gravity, you can pretty much do anything. You can affect time. You can have force fields. All that stuff that's in science fiction becomes reality. You it, asked about time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right there. So, yeah. I'll show you to go back, like. Eight seconds. That's exactly eight seconds. Not really. Let's uh. It's a little bit longer. Yeah. Oops. But just so we can rehear that piece, rotation you can make based on mass. Right, and and remember, we can observe the effects of gravity, but we have no idea what it is. All mm. we can do is observe it, and we can't make it. The only way you can make gravity is just put more mass together, and so, it's just a, a product of gravity. But if you can make a, if you have a machine that makes gravity, you can pretty much do anything. You can affect time. You can have force fields. All that stuff that's in science fiction becomes reality if you have a machine that can make gravity. And what we worked on in the desert was a machine that makes gravity. I love your analogy of dropping off a small nuclear reactor to the Victorian era. I love that that analogy because back then that was impossible. That was magic. What you're talking about here, the fact that they just discovered this four years ago, that this is a wave. And we're, as much as we know and as impressed as we are, as we should be, with how much more technologically advanced we are than every other creature on this planet – we're still, in many ways, in the adolescence of technological innovation. Absolutely. Absolutely. If even adolescence. And when you're talking... Think about Tesla. And that's the only stuff that they're giving us, though. Yeah. I mean, they're, we've been talking about it for a while. They're like 50 years ahead of us. I they think haven't, at least. They haven't released it to us, you know? Yeah. What, but what are we saying about Tesla? Think about Tesla, like the shit that he was doing. It seemed insane, like this fucking yeah. guy's playing with lightning and... Shit like that, like, but he he was able to. It was free energy, mm -hmm. basically. Like, all that seemed insane at the time. You know what I mean? Right. But maybe he was ahead of his time. He was. It's clear. Read a book on Tesla. People that don't know, it's not the band we're talking about. <laughs> uh, go to Amazon and put in Tesla book, and it's not the car we're talking about either. Right. You know? Nikolai. Yeah. Talking about this binary star system, Zeta Reticuli, and who knows how much longer these things have been around than us. Who knows what their evolutionary cycle's been. Who knows what... I mean, we might be talking about something that's a million years more advanced than us. Yeah. Yeah, it could easily be. Now, I'm not in... Believe it or not, I'm not into UFOs. I don't follow stories or... You know, Even listen. after your experiences? No, I'm fascinated with the technology, and I, I it really it irks me. Like every night I go to sleep, that you know I don't that it was my own doing essentially that that prevented me from continuing on in the in the project. I mean, it's the that to be on that cutting edge of technology is so alluring to me. Right. But you know, by the same token, I don't really care that there's aliens or where they come from i mean the prize is the technology and that's what i'm fascinated by but so i don't listen to ufo stories and that sort of thing but george knapp is um i mean he's the guy that has the contacts and tries to thread everything together and 
uh, what he recently told me is he found, I don't know, is either documentation or people that he spoke to. It's that this, the existence of this project, the project that I was on, it's something that they seem to take out every eight or ten years. So that's a very specific memo, and this is actually I, this is the first time I'll be very clear with people about it. It's a big topic of conversation right now. It's called the Wilson Memo. You can look it up. Admiral Wilson met with a scientist who's actually was featured in one of my films. Everybody has been debating whether or not this document of a conversation with a with a sitting admiral at the time is a real document. It, it's an actual conversation that happened, and this document is real. Everybody wants to know the world is going crazy right now in the UFO world. I'll tell you straight up right now, I'm in the position to know, and it is a real document, that it is real. So the conversation you read in that, that conversation was had. I can't attest to every... I don't, you're not being very clear. Sure. Please. <laughs> no problem. So there was a document that is circulating right now that is really big. It's going around everywhere. People are asking and wondering. What is this document? It's called the Wilson Memo is what, how you can find it online, the, or the Wilson Leak. There it is. Jimmy's got it. The Wilson Memorandum. Use uh, of human volunteers. No, 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 no. Sure that was it, yeah. No, that's oh, not okay, it. Okay, yeah. Okay. So uh, Admiral Wilson meets with this scientist, and they have this discussion, oddly enough, at special projects at EG&G. And I, if I remember, the document is from 2001. I'm telling everybody right now it's real, and we'll see. My history is pretty good with, like, saying if something's real or not, right? So here we go. The document comes out. They meet at EG&G special projects. In 1989, they, they stumble into a problem. This happens. They put the technology away, and then they bring it back out and see if material science has caught up and if they can make any progress. So this document kind of talks about this process. The big thing I get from it, and a lot of it's vindicating to Bob, and one of the things it's vindicating besides the EG&G thing is that private industry – so this guy's an admiral, and he says – I, sh I found out about your SAP, your special access program. I need to know about it. And he's going to a, a, a private part of industry, and he is denied access. And he says, I, you know, I should be running this program. And they were able to deny him access. So I think the takeaway here is check it out. I'm telling you that that is an actual correct – that is a leak. Now, everything said in that document, I'm, I don't know. What are you talking about? What, what is said in that document specifically? It's, it's uh, between a scientist and, and an admiral that are sitting and they're having a, a meeting and they're talking about um, the, the search for the, the UFO subject, the search to get special access program access to all of these different things like reverse engineering programs. So in this document, they talk about it. Uh, I believe that... The, this document, the, the person that went was employed by Robert Bigelow, you know, one of the guys that has a couple yes. orbiting satellites and all that stuff. Who's he's been... the guy who owns Skinwalker Ranch. No, he's not. No? He was the guy that owns Skinwalker. To own it. Okay. Yeah, he used to own it. There's a new owner, and I, I interviewed him for my other film, but there's a new owner, and you'll be hearing a lot more about that soon. But, uh, like, it'll just, there's, there's stuff that you'll be hearing about Skinwalker Ranch soon because there's a new owner. Anyway, the, the whole point of this in, you know, insertion here is just that that document kind of validates a lot of this idea Bob just said, that they make a little progress, then they can't go anywhere. They tuck it away, and then they bring it back out you know, 10 years later and start working on it. What is the limiting factor? I think Bob should speak on this, but it's the material science. You yeah, know, it's really where physics is, so I, I, can, I can see them doing that. I mean, I didn't have any... Uh, 
information on that, but I think what you know George uncovered is probably accurate. That uh, you know we try and do what we can, and once we reach a roadblock on we really can't figure it out, it's just friggin' wait, put the thing away, wait for science to catch up, and you know a decade later, let's take the project out again and see. All right, now where can we go? But, but there's got to be someone who remains informed, right? Oh, like, yeah. So you've got your scientists like you and Barry. you got your people that you compartmentalize. you got these people working on Yeah, there project. has to be some people right. that know everything. You've got security, and then someone's going to be on the outside saying, hey, we need people to guard this building. Don't let anybody in for 10 years. I, th- yeah, I think a lot of that is private industry, and I think that's how really? they keep it. Yeah, I think that's how they litter because the government is just so leaky. I think that's kind of what they're doing. That's what the document kind of proves. You just articulated that, that um, it is in control of private industry. What private industry? Some aerospace company, something? I don't know. Yeah, they wouldn't, they would, the guy, the admiral wouldn't name it in the car, right. in the conversation. Right. Yeah. So they still have these things, supposedly. I would guess. I mean, I don't have any information on have that Have you ever asked anyone that has any inkling of any idea of where they got them or how they got them? No, but um, something must have been said to me um, from Barry. and But I, I, it was just too long ago, and I, I can't quite remember what was said, but it... It just left a seed in my mind. I think at least one of them was part of an archaeological dig. So it's old. Something one At least one of them is old. I don't know if it was the one I worked on, but I remember something to do with an archaeological dig. Whoa. So that's uh, that means it's not just old, it's ancient. That would be a great Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> as all of it would. Yeah, yeah well, that tripped me out when he said that for the first time. Yeah. That's a freak out right yeah. there. Just a couple of dudes with some brushes looking for a Tyrannosaurus Rex bone. They and, hit metal. And when did they find it? You know, that, that they have nine of them. Yeah. Well, and how could we have not heard about that? What about the guys with the brushes? How could yeah. you uncover something like that? Dead. And well, Joe's newspaper at home does. I mean, they said it on that first day. Oh, you mean the Roswell yeah, Daily Yeah, yeah, the one you yeah. told me. Yeah. yeah, I have a cover. What is this here, Jamie? This is the document, but I, it, I had to do some digging to find it. Yes, <laughs> it's just kind of... Yeah, so this is where they meet at EG&G, and this is Admiral Wilson, and there's a lot more coming out. Now, I want to be clear. George didn't put this out. He didn't leak this out to anybody. This is – I can tell you how Who I – recorded this this conversation? So this was an employee of, at the time, Robert Bigelow. And this is in 2002? Right. Do you remember when he had that government contract called OSAP the World All Knows About Now, and he had NIDS that studied the ranch? So that $22 million, everybody is saying it was for ATIP, um, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The $22 million was for OSAP that was pushed through through Congress, three congressmen, right, an astronaut. It was pushed through, and that's what that $22 million, by the way, they spend more money on Viagra every year than they do studying UFOs, if it was just this program, which I think is funny. They probably make the a lot more money from Viagra they than probably they do, do the, from UFOs, too. Well, you never know how it seeds into population, but anyway, uh, this program... Uh, this is what was the mother program. So it, it got the $22 million, And really, it was to study Skinwalker Ranch. Oddly enough, that $22 million all was inspired by the phenomenon they were seeing at Skinwalker Ranch. Because the scientists, they're seeing vehicles come through like a space in the sky. Yeah, we went there. I went there right. with Duncan. Yeah, we we you, interviewed a bunch of people that seemed full of shit, but a couple that didn't. But it was the, very, very interesting. Totally. And it, it, there's, but in, if you look, I spent a lot of time in the area. I'm not 
talking about those stories. I'm saying there were scientists hired by the government, right, through Bigelow to study the ranch because they thought it was important. And, you know, whatever, whatever. The point is that $22 million was to study that. Then we have ATIP, which is like an auxiliary kind of program of military settings, like Commander Fravers and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. This document is just one of those things that has now come forward that um, through the Bigelow studies, it was government funded, and then it was personally funded and then government funded. Um, it's just one of those things that kind of shakes you because you got this military guy who can't get access because of the private industry that's holding these non-terrestrial materials that they can't study it so that's the the claim right now give it some time let people dig more into this it's fascinating man so you are essentially you're 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 kicked out right you're you're out of the this program you can't work with these crafts anymore and do they give you any threats do they tell you what you have to do from here on out yeah, well, I mean, the, the way it ended was um, I told George Knapp all this stuff. And, um, you know, he said, well, let's just get it on tape. Should something happen, at least we have a record of it. And um, I don't remember what the impetus was, but um, at some point George wanted to air it. And he said, you know, you make the call on it. And look, if at any point you change your mind, uh, we won't air it. And it came down to the day where George wants to put it on the 5 o'clock news. He said, hey, this is important stuff. People have to know about it. And I thought it was, too. I thought it's kind of a crime. I know you got to keep the technology secret, but you can't not tell everybody that this stuff is going on, that we have, you know, actual hardware from another civilization. It's a big fucking deal, you know, probably the biggest one there ever was. And um, George said, you know, today's the day we got to put it on the news or something to that effect. And when it came right down to the time to air it, I changed my mind and I said, we're not doing it. And that's what turned into the famous wrestling match between me and George trying to get the tape, but he won because he was a bigger guy. So you actually physically wrestled? Well, I think it was more of a pulling match. We were I don't think we ever hit the ground. But uh he got the tape, he put it in the player and boom, five o'clock news was on and then um I got a call after that and they said it was from Dennis. He said, Do you have any idea what we're gonna do to you now? And he hung up the phone. That was the last communication I had with him. And what has happened to you since then? After that, um a lot of people I've known um, either were audited by the IRS, people had anybody I know that had clearances that worked in secure programs, had the clearances pulled. One of them, uh, friend that, one of mine that Jeremy knows. He's um, going on camera with me soon. He'll tell the story now that he's out of work up there. He was working up at the Tonopah test range waiting for his clearance to come through, and, you know, they, they pulled that. It, it, it became... It's like if they can't get the person that's involved, they just create a problem for everybody that surrounds them. And so, I mean, the way it turns out, it hurt a lot of people's lives that uh, I was connected to. And that's an effective way of shutting someone up. Did you feel that by coming forward and going public, they couldn't just snuff you out? That was, I mean, that's what I was told, and George and everybody, you know, said that. You got, oh, it's it's, it's public, there's, you know, no one will touch you, and I, I, you know, I... I fell for it, um, and I. I Do you just, wish you didn't? 
Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes yeah, when sometimes. it's just overstressed and people are camping on your lawn. Yeah, but it's uh, this is going to make things worse doing this. No, this is going to um, make things better. That's <laughs> what I was trying to tell him. <laughs> How is this going to make things better? Well, because you're getting a real chance to explain yourself in a way that's going to make people who are not only work in the government, people that are police. The funny thing is he says that, and then right after this interview, he goes and creates a Facebook page that says Star Mary 51 yeah. and makes it worse because then they used it to cover up Epstein. Yep. Interesting. So it did make it worse. Not for Bob, though. Eh, we, we don't know who's showing up on his fucking lawn now, though. Yeah, that's true. You know? We just haven't heard about it. Yeah, but he's not living up there anymore, I thought. No, but you, you, there's enough shit out there. You can figure out where he lives. Yeah, yeah. It's either Minnesota or uh, I think it's Minnesota somewhere, right? Yeah. I think. I think so. Oh, let's just give his address out on the fucking air, I guess. <laughs> officers and firefighters and first responders and doctors and scientists, they're going to empathize. Empathize, uh, empathize and, and empathize with what it must be like to be a person like you in your 20s who gets thrust into this world unknowingly and confronted with one of the most, if not the most, important discovery in the history of human beings. The big question, are we alone? It's the number one question. Right. There's two questions, right? What happens when we die and are we alone? Those are the two big questions. Right. And if we're not alone and someone knows we're not alone and these some people who know we're not alone are these bungling sort of even if they weren't folks. it's a crime that yes. they're not telling the yes. rest of us but i mean i don't mean bungling in terms of they're incompetent i mean they can't be competent it seems to me to what you're describing that no one can be competent with this technology like the victorian victorian era scholars analyzing some sort of a, a nuclear reactor there's there's no way why do you think why do you think they're not telling us let's just make an assumption that this is true right now why do you think that they're not telling us that our government doesn't tell us what's your best well thought? let me put it into what would you do if if i'm the president okay and i get this information what do i do with this what do i do with this there's something that we don't know there's something we don't understand there's something that came from another world we got it tucked away in the mountains and uh, i just wanted you guys to know about it hey sleep tight hey american mm-hmm. Idol's on tonight who do you think's gonna win yeah. Who's going to yeah, win America's no, that, Got Talent? One is uncertainty, and the other one is what Bob and I have talked about a lot. Absolutely not knowing what to tell people because you don't really understand it yourself, even right. though you've got these. What do you say? You, you want to run a government? You want to get people to pay their taxes? But there's something else. Yeah. Because, what, do you, what do you say? So you have these objects fine with impunity, right? And you, but you have something else. Well, not only that, Ooh. what can you say? Like, how much do you really know? I think it's exactly. mainly the technology. That, they just want to keep the technology secret because Military. if there's... Yeah. Whoever yeah. gets this there's wins, a, dude. Yeah, they win. they, you, right. you control the world. You, you literally become invincible once you master the technology. You, can't, you cannot penetrate a field like that. So I imagine that's... I know it's all science fiction, but science fiction turns into science fact. If you have f- real force fields around aircraft and battleships, you, you win. You win. You right. can force your will upon anybody. And uh, like I said, there's so much more to the story when I was first. Th- Somebody out there said, see, Star Wars is going to be real someday. <laughs> it's, it's, nah, no. no. There, um, there were Russian scientists at S4. 
That was this was early on in the project. So this was before. Oh, there's the collusion. Became public mm-hmm. as well, right? So I would Trump imagine. Was that was, I don't know yeah. what the dates. Were. Yeah, when was? <laughs> yeah, it? but it's still, it's Trump's fault. Ninety-eight, I think. Ninety-eight. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the dates on. So it's paper. roughly ten years later. Operation Paperclip becomes Freedom of Information Act. We talk about Russia, not Germany. He's talking about Russian scientists. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, Russian scientists. A lot of them came from Germany. A lot of those okay. those rocket scientists that work with NASA, they all came from Nazi scientists. Got it. So, so some Russians got some of them. I we just got know some it, of them. At, at some point there was intense cooperation Joe. with Russia. I mean, even exchanging some ideas on nuclear weapons and you know EMP tests and some things mm. we would never have discussed with them. But at the same time, it was in the late '80s. Uh, they were involved and actually in the area at S four with us. And so you got to communicate with these guys or you saw them? No, I knew they were there. Barry Barry would talk about the commies that were there. The commies? And, yeah, the commies. And, um, that was back when they were the commies. Right? Yeah, the yeah they were real commies. Isn't that um, and um, at some point, it wasn't our group, but at some point, there was a big discovery made. And this did not happen when I was there. It happened in between my trips to there. And after that, apparently, they decided it was just too cool to share with anybody, and the Russians were never allowed back on the base after that. But you don't know what that discovery was? No. No, like I said, it wasn't my group. So one of the other groups really found out something. But, the you know, in typical American fashion, it was, all right, this is ours. You guys get the hell out of here. Was there any inkling that any other government had something similar? No, not, nothing that I had heard. See, that was the thing that always freaked me out, was why, if if something was so superior to human beings, it's almost like visiting an ant colony. Like, why would you go to the queen? I don't give a fuck who the queen is. I'm mm-hmm. a human. I'm so superior to you ants. I don't care who you have running your hive. I'm just going to study it. I think it's who got it. Who got it? Look at the, you know, rocket technology in Germany. But they got nine of them? Yeah, that do- doesn't make sense to me either. So they were either in the same area or you know one had clues to where others were i mean i don't know you 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 have to fill that in there but you're right i mean nine of them that's a that that's a a big dig if it was archaeological well one of the more recent the recent sightings and the these d- discussions that have been coming out recently from air force pilots and navy pilots they've been talking about things happening in the ocean and that, that something go, literally goes into the water or something maybe below the surface of the water. You're thinking about the 2004 Tic Tac Nimitz yeah. case. So that's when George Knapp and I broke on the radio twice before the New York Times, so I know this one really well. Commander Fravor and those pilots, there was a disturbance on the surface of the water. Commander Fravor visually saw what looked like similar to a cross, some object. So it's like as if you have some like, coral under the water and you've got it's breaking over. Right. The Tic Tac is doing this crazy maneuver that defies – it's a gravity-propelled system. They saw it in the sky before they saw it in the water, right? Yeah. So there was um, there were radar that was picking this, these things coming down from 80,000 feet, dropping to 50 feet in less than a second. This is it? Jamie, what is this? This is actually on the news today. There was a briefing. So, so a lot of people get this confused. Oh, not this one then either? No. So th- or, th- that is called the gimbal. So th- there's three okay. videos released by the Pentagon that are all actual. Just play and keep the volume off. Okay. I-, I, would, I would really just pay attention to the source videos. So you've got the Tic Tac, which is this object that Commander Fravor saw. Another pilot filmed it with a FLIR pod, and it goes... Tchoop. But this one you see is really important to Bob's story. The gimbal craft... It's been recently analyzed. It's FLIR. 
not only does it, it it's definitive that it's not a conventional anything by the by its movements, but there's a pocket of cold air around a propulsion source. So this object, by the way, sat stationary uh, for days, if not weeks. It sat stationary. Yeah, they found it 11 hours later, and they were saying there's no way this thing, using that kind of energy to go that fast, could just right. hover the for amount of time. Hours. And by the way, you're seeing a very small part of what happened that day. This object was not alone. And so hopefully that information comes out, and we can, I mean, I wish we had video of it. I'm sure we'd all want to see it. But that's called the gimbal. That was East Coast, right, 2015. West Coast, 2004, was the Tic Tac. The disturbance on the water, Commander Fravor believes there was something under that water that was causing that disturbance when the Tic Tac was coming around and doing it. Within inside the, the people that are studying this, they're thinking maybe the Tic Tac system was causing the disturbance, but the USO, unidentified submerged object, that, that he visually saw... Uh, the whole interesting thing about that is, I would love Bob to describe it, is why it doesn't matter if these craft are in space, air, or water. Why doesn't it matter? I love when he talks about this shit. Well, first of all, Commander Fravor was the F-18 pilot off the Nimitz that was sent out to find out what this stuff is. But uh, And it wasn't just – I got a, a chance to talk to him recently – and it wasn't just a radar image. I mean, Commander Fravor had eyes on it for over five minutes watching this thing, as four other pilots did. So this wasn't a radar blip or anything. I mean, these guys were watching this thing. But, um, you know, one of the things I think in the gimbal video, the way the craft that we worked on flies is it doesn't fly like, a conventional aircraft does, and it doesn't fly like a flying saucer would in a 1950s movie. It flies belly first. I mean, it may set down conventionally, but it always rotates. It does a roll maneuver, puts its belly towards the target, and then moves away so at high speed. So it would be like a car flying with the wheels forward. Right, right. I mean, it may lift it, land on the wheels, but at some point when it wants to leave, flips it's going to flips up, points the wheels where it wants to go and takes off. And the gimbal video, you can see the craft do the roll maneuver. And uh, it's really interesting. It behaves exactly like the crafts that I worked on. So much like we have different shaped aircrafts and fighter jets and cars, they it's probably weird. have different shapes of these you would think, objects that, like what he just described, how it goes... Like the, and then it moves like that, like the resistance. But I guess it doesn't matter if it's moving everything in front of it. You know what I mean? Or bending. Bending it, yeah. So, like, if you took a fucking pancake or a, a, a giant sheet or, you know, any kind of large object and tried running with it, like, straight up and down, just like, you know, a kite yeah. or something, yeah, you'd have resistance. You'd have resistance mm -hmm. But if that kite or you know whatever could bend the area right in front of it it would be no resistance it can go whichever way it wants so it yeah. I don't, it's just weird the whole thing is so far advanced to what like you know we know mm -hmm. and can fucking fathom yeah yeah it's just weird operate under similar principles Right, Perhaps. but they all have the same power source. They all have the same power source. And we're also dealing with, if you think about 
the laws of technological progression. You know, you think of Moore's Law and you think of how things accelerate. You've got to think that if this civilization is who knows how many years more advanced than we are, if not even years, I mean, I mean, we're thinking about in terms of conventional terms, right, the way, the way we look at the world. I mean, they, may, they might be just superior in terms of their intellect. They've got to be. Maybe. Maybe. We, we don't know, right? Well, the only reason I, I say that is because, look, everyone doesn't necessarily start at a steam engine right. and go to an internal combustion engine and then, you know, electric power, nuclear power, and go up the ladder that we right. came on. Um, you know, the binary, if the stuff is true about the origin and the binary star system and they have heavier elements that we don't have and this element, stable element 115, is a naturally occurring material, maybe that's the first thing they started experimenting with. And the version of their steam engine, their first product was something that operated like this. And actually when they came to Earth to look around or, you know, whatever, they were amazed at the stuff we were doing. These guys burned stuff and squirted out the back to go forward. So, right. Um, right. you know, who says they follow any kind of normal progression like that? My, my thought was if you went back to the 1400s and then you went from 1400 to 1500, you're not going to see that much of a difference technologically. Right. If you go from... 2,000 to 3,000, I assume there's going to be a radical change. Right. Well, the, yeah, the delta, the rate of change yeah. is, is magnificently higher than it used to be. Right. So if you think about what they had in 1988 and you think about what they probably have in 2019, just logically, it seems like they would advance. I would think so. The only question is, like, are they living is that a living thing in terms of like a biological thing or are they some sort of an artificially created creation like we are working on right now? I mean, we're in the middle of working on artificial reality, artificial beings, sentient beings, artificial intelligence. There's constant, there's silicon based life forms that they're essentially trying to create. Boston Dynamics, or was it Boston Dynamics that the company you, you can make robots, crazy yeah. robots? Yeah. yeah. You can make machines out of flesh, yeah. right? So right. a cyborg or a cybernetic right. organism is just that, you know, that's what a lot of people think those like gray things are, you know, that people call the grays. Yeah. Is like, they were like, they're machines right. printed from flesh. So what you're saying it is could like, make sense by well, they could just be no. synthetic. Exactly. Life. synthetic. They don't life. even need yeah. to be, right. you know, machines. Right. Well, mean, they they seem to have no sex organs. The way they're described by people that have had interactions with them, assuming these people it's aren't a cool robot right. you painted for me, Dave. Whatever. Right. That they have no sex organs, and that they don't seem to have any muscle. That just almost like a frame. Right. And they have enormous heads. I mean, if you look at Australopithecus or depictions of you know ancient hominids, and then you go to human beings. One of the things you see is bigger heads and weaker bodies. Well, you and see a clear same, progression right? yeah. of evolution yes. too, where something like that, it, I would lean towards a synthetic organism because yes. it looks like it was made for a specific task. There's right. no not to keep like pausing. No, you're fine. But hypothetically, let's think about this now. Let's say in 10, 15, 20, 60, 100 fucking years from now. We've, you know, Joe Rogan just told you about it. Like, they're trying to, like, right. make this shit. Right. Let's say we fucking mastered it. And what we've mastered is that. A gray mm-hmm. alien. And then... 
by then we've also figured out how to do that gravity, anti-gravity thing. Right. And we're traveling back in time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what if this is a big fucking loop type thing that we're, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. The whole thing's weird, but it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Reproductive organs, so, I mean, that almost kind of leaves out any kind of, you know, physical evolution. Right. Well, yeah. that's also our bottleneck, right? Our bottleneck is our biological imperative. The the need to breed, emotions, fear, anxiety, right. all these different things that exist in order to force us into making sure we reproduce. I mean, that's essentially what it is. There are human reward systems that aren't necessary once they can figure out a way to make some sort of sentient artificial right. life, some sort of thing that doesn't have these biological limitations that we have. By the way, these craft, all these different kinds have been reported because it was confusing. I always thought of flying saucers what I heard Bob Lazar talk about, flying saucer, right? But if you look back in history, people have always reported the weirdest shapes. Like, none of them are alike. You know, there there are the saucers, but you got cigar-shaped. you got, you know, the top hat shaped. Mm. You you have orbs. Why? Maybe they're serving different purposes. They're doing different things like we'd use different tools. And I, I want to be clear, the, the reason I know that memo is, is real is because I spent a lot of time with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, sixth man to walk on the moon, last guy to film him before he died, right? That's how I know I don't want any journalists thinking I got it from anywhere else. I know because of Dr. Mitchell, and he said the same thing. Maybe these things are performing different tasks, you know, and that's well, why. Well, they seem, if you, if you think about what an alien is in terms of our, our the sort of iconic image of an alien, like the Steven Spielberg Close Encounters of the Third Time, the Third uh, Kind Alien, they seem like what we'd assume a human being would eventually become. Right. And if these things are tiny, human beings are smaller than they've ever been before. They're weaker than they've ever been mm-hmm. before. And there seems to be a trend in that direction. And this trend seems to be amplified by our technological progression. There are a lack of need for muscle strength and our lack of need for violence. And we're moving in a society to try to get away from all the things that we think are aboard. Aliens are the next level down for millennials. Behaviors that we have. Yeah. If we <laughs> one day do give birth to some sort of an artificial being, like Marshall McLuhan's uh, quote, we are the sex organs of the machine world. You know, that one day we. Okay, I'll buy this. Yeah, McLuhan was brilliant. And that that quote has always been one of my favorites because, okay, what are we doing when we're constantly technologically innovating? We're constantly looking for faster cars, better computers, bigger screens, faster, more resolution, more pixels, more this, more that, higher bandwidth, 5G, 10G. What are we doing? We're moving into this in this. If you just follow it objectively, stand back, don't attach yourself or your civilization, your culture to it and look at what it is. We're moving 100 percent towards technological innovation. If you looked at this species from afar, and if you weren't a part of it, you would say, well, what does this species do? Oh, they make things. They make things better every year. Beehives are the same fucking thing that you see 10 years ago. You go by, you see a beehive. It's amazing. It's cool, but they're the same fucking thing. They figured out how to do it. They make a beehive. We don't do that. We make better things constantly. And at some point, I think that technology is going to fuse with us. Yes. And we're going to become... It's already happening. Yeah. Elon Musk talked about it on my podcast, that we are cyborgs. You just carry it in your pocket. It's a phone. 
It answers any question you want. You can talk to it. It'll give you the answers, in, the answers instantaneously. It navigates you. It has all your phone numbers in it. It has all your contacts. You can get a hold of people. People are listening to you through it. It's connecting us in ways even involuntarily. Haptics, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's also getting on your wrist. How many people have iWatches, uh, Apple Watches? They're well, right, on their wrist. Right. And that's only because we can't integrate them yet. But yeah. it, you know that point is coming. 100%. Yeah. I didn't joke about it last night, but I have a bit about Chips, it. Chips, I do. About the, the integration between humans and technology. Implant chips and what would you do if you were a hyper-intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Would you do the work yourself or would you create some cool things called like humans to do it for you? Would you create things that are cybernetic organisms to come in with machines and do it for you? If you were a hyper-intelligence that has kind of changed like you've described – You'd probably create workers, right? Well, that's a vast conspiracy theory. I mean, that, I'm not talking about conspiracy. But it is a kind of a conspiracy, I'm right? I'm asking like, you. Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily that. I mean, you could look at it that way, but that is the way a conspiracy theorist would look at it. The way I would look at it is like there's obviously a progression going on, a biological progression. There's some sort of an integration with technology. There's some sort of imperative, this need for technological innovation. It's mm-hmm. inescapable. Everyone has it. We, and I think it's attached to materialism in some sort of a strange way because so many people work so hard to get new things. And like, God, that seems so illogical and preposterous, and it makes people unhappy and depression's on the rise, but nobody seems to be able to stop it. Like, why is that? Well, maybe it's because we are the electronic caterpillars that give birth to the butterfly. Maybe that's what we're doing. That maybe could what, very well be. What our job is to do is to make some sort of a cocoon, and we don't even know we're doing it while we're doing it. Do you think a caterpillar is well? Hey, caterpillar, what are you doing? Man, just I'm doing my thing. It's my job. I have to make a cocoon. Then I'm going to become like a butterfly. This could be a natural part of evolution. It could be. That we're right. just supposed right. to do this. Exactly. And, and make the jump to uh, some sort of mechanized. Right. Be- yeah, have non-biological. an orangutan that is uh, fishing with a spear? <laughs> No. They, they've figured out how yeah. to fish with spears. There's, uh, there's um, primatologists. Wait, wait, wait without that? somebody showing them how to fish? No, they've imitated human beings doing it. And now they do it, but they do it independently. They're not trained orangutans. They're wild orangutans. Look at that. There's a wild orangutan. Okay, that's impressive. That's, that's impressive. impressive. Well, there's these primatologists. I guess you would call them primatologists. That's the term? That's a great Biologists. Term. Biologists that believe that monkeys and chimps and some of the great apes are moving into the stone age that they've currently entered the stone age like they're not staying what they were sorry it's an ad snuck another one in on us i didn't know they were doing that did you know that what that monkeys and primates were going into the stone age Mm -mm. no but like if you listen to Joe Rogan shit all the time, like every fucking, it doesn't matter who he's got in there, he ends up on fucking a- animals. Like, he's so into the animal kingdom and how they, like, operate and all this shit. Right. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's not my thing, but kind of comes with the territory. They were 100,000 years ago or 500,000 years ago, but they're actively using tools and they're experimenting with different different ways to use those tools. And then they're making tools out of stone. They're making tools out of sticks, and they're, they're using them. Well, this might just be what happens. This might just be what right. happens. I mean, why right. else? Why, we, why the fuck do we work so hard? I mean, I, I, was, I was driving to L.A. this morning. 
Um, I had a doctor's appointment, so I was on the 405 at uh, 8 in the morning. Like, Jesus Christ, like, this is so crazy. When you're on the 405 in L.A. at 8 o'clock in the morning, you see literally a million cars. Yeah, red light. And it's mm-hmm. just everywhere you go, it's people. But And also, I'm in a Tesla, so I have it on autopilot. So I'm there sitting, I'm listening to a podcast. I, b- I barely have my hand on the wheel. I'm not touching shit. <laughs> this car's driving me along. I'm not even doing anything. I'm just I'm just hanging out. It's so much less stress, by the way, to do it that way. Right. So it encourages you to, to innovate. Yeah. It encourages you to embrace this new technology. I got this giant screen. It's showing me the navigation in front of me. Oh, I'll be there five minutes early. Excellent. And I'm listening to a podcast wirelessly. It's Bluetooth screen, streaming from my phone. And I pulled that podcast, which came out today out of the fucking sky. And I'm listening to it. And I'm all comfortable in my nice little car just driving on my way to the doctor's office. This it, is irresistible stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes. different than your Walkman. Yeah. Yes. You know, back in the it day. It is irresistible. So it is irresistible. It's frighteningly irresistible. But is, is it, it is. frightening? I mean, if you were a monkey, right, if you were um, an Australopithecus, would you go, man, I don't want to fucking be a person and live in a house? That's bullshit. I like just swinging around on trees. I like uh, running from jaguars. This is life. Guys, life is running from crocodiles. It's not living in a fucking suburban no, community. No, there's probably some that are like that. Yeah, I don't think so. I think, I think when it comes, we're going to embrace it. We're going to embrace it the same way you embrace cell phones, the same way you embrace television. There's going to be a few holdouts. I don't even have an email address, man. Those, those, there's a few and far between. Good luck with that, fuck face. Go move to the woods, Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> yeah, Go live in I, I was cabin. just going to throw Ted Kaczynski oh, man. Wow. Ted Kaczynski was right. This is something that I think about sometimes when I get really high, that Ted Kaczynski <laughs> was a part of the Harvard LSD studies. This has been proven. Ted Kaczynski, they cooked his fucking brain when he was at Harvard. And then when he went over to Berkeley and became a professor, his goal was to make enough money so that he could implement this program and live in the woods and then write his manifesto and start killing people that were involved in propagating technology. He was expunged from the Harvard uh, logs, by the way. This is something my friend just called me about. So there's like this uh, private library, and they used to print people's names whenever they were part of a university, and he was one of a handful of people that were expunged from it. I want to jump back to the one thing, Joe. I want to be very careful with that word, conspiracy theorist. What I was what I was saying to you was, we we terraform our Earth, right? We we terraform, we change the environment, we do all this innovation. What is stopping us from thinking that that's not being done? I'm not saying it is. I'm saying what's stopping us from thinking that that's being done on a much bigger level, on a cosmic level? You mean like aliens coming down doing that to humans? Well, I'm I'm telling you that there is something here. That's there's a fact. You know, there's something. There are craft. They're here. They're not ours. They're here. So the question is. What is that about? And I'm just looking at what we do with what you're describing with technology. Well, and it's mu- I think it's much more likely that the same way we observe chimps and we observe that they are now in the Stone Age, that they're observing us and that they're recognizing that there is a pattern, that there is a, there's a steps that happen. I mean, Carl Sagan talked about the different levels of civilization and that, you know, that if we don't get past certain levels, we're never going to reach this. Right. I mean, we're a in type this, one civilization. Yeah. We're going to stay a type zero. Well, yeah. we're in this warring, polluting, yeah. pillaging. We're awesome. Civilization. Humans it's, are awesome. It's a, well, I mean, we're awesome in a lot of ways, yeah, yeah. you know. But in that way, we're not. But. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're children that have immense power that we yeah. didn't really. The other thing is you're using the immense power that other people have created, right? I mean, even when you're driving a car and you're stomping on the gas like, woo, you didn't invent the fucking engine. You didn't invent tires. There's all these things that were in, involved in the creation of gas. this thing <laughs> that 
is really outside of your grasp of understanding, but yet you have the ability to use it. Like a person with a gun. I'm just going to bang, bang, bang people. You, don't, you, you didn't invent a gun. So like you've, you've, without the intellect to craft and engineer and, 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 and manifest these creations, you just have access to them because you have paper or you have Bitcoin right. or you have whatever mm-hmm. the fuck you're using, you're using a credit card. Now you have n- almost no responsibility. You, just, you could just flippantly use these things, which is why we, uh, you know, we were very childlike in our actions. We, we haven't had to earn the responsibility. We haven't had to earn these things that we've been able to have, and you've only been able to have them because other people have innovated and spent ungodly yeah. amounts of time and effort and focus in the lab to create these things. And then they've all put them together, and then what is the, what's the reason to put them together? To profit. Well, what's the reason to profit? Well, why are you doing this? So you can buy more things. Well, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're making better things. That's what we do. That's all we That's do. That's all we do is make better things. Yeah. Why right. the fuck do we need oil? Why do we need oil? Why can't we just burn mm-hmm. f- wood and stay home? Why can't we grow chickens and food in the backyard? Why can't we do it? Well, we fucking can. We certainly can. People do do it. But we decide to make that almost impossible. Our preferred way of living is to stuff everyone into a very small area where no one grows anything other than weed. And this is what L.A. is. L.A. is 20 million people with hard surfaces, as, as many hard surfaces as you can. Boy, if you've got an acre backyard in L.A., holy shit, look at all that grain. This is amazing. Well, no, that's <laughs> the fucking earth coming through this weird sort of creation that we've put on top of the earth. But the goal is that, like New York City, that's, there's none of it, right? You just got, you've got Central Park and they just got human shit. You stacked up. No one's growing anything. And then constant work. Everyone's up early. Go, go, go. Innovate. Progress. Make that money so you can buy more things. And every year, hey, Apple, where's this fucking new phone? As if your phone isn't good enough. Like your phone's taking pictures and videos and people are calling you and you got applications that tell you which way the wind's blowing. It's not good enough. A blink of an eye, blink of an eye, it's all gone though. That you know, like ten thousand years, and the Hoover Dam goes or whatever. You know, Mount Rushmore d- disintegrates. So it's amazing because we have created that, and and everything's trying to spring up through that. We keep it maintenance down, but we're we're a blink, man. Something hits. But we don't think that way. Well, you know, you think in terms of your own life, right? You think in terms yeah. of what you want and what you need right now. You know, it's. We are, in many ways, this combination of this weird, primitive, ape-like thing with the ability to calculate and manipulate our world and our environment that makes us wholly unique. On top of that, with existential angst and, and, and fear. So what do you do with that? We fucking water it down with the antidepressants. Give these fucking people some shit that keeps them moving. Mm-hmm. They're worried about the future. They're trying to figure out what reality is. If you're on a goddamn convertible spaceship spinning a thousand miles an hour, hurling through infinity. There's no meaning to this thing. Just keep making shit. Keep making stuff. And then one day, they're going to be able to hit that switch, and this life will be born out of innovation and thinking and progress and technology. And more than likely, it's probably going to be what we're seeing that these things are that you're 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 observing. Mm-hmm. I'm not observing them, but yeah, well, someone's I, observing. Are you, are you implying that they're us? I don't think they are us, but I think they are what happens when things keep going. Mm-hmm. It's not us, just like we're not monkeys, right? I'm, right. I'm not a chimp. 
Oh, that'd Chimp be cool. They're, they're from here. Is your idea? No, no, no. That this is what happens yes. all over the universe. Yes. Right? Yeah, totally. That this is what happened. Look, here's the thing. You know, I went to see Brian Cox's. Um, uh, he has this amazing live show with Robin Ince, where they 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 have these. LED screens, these huge screens with high-resolution depictions of the cosmos. And one of the most mind-blowing things was he has this large-scale image of the universe, and it shows all the individual galaxies of the universe, and it just keeps moving through all these galaxies in three dimensions. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking incredible. But what's stunning is the relative uniformity of it, even at, you know, I mean, you're obviously looking at an incredibly small depiction of something that's immensely large, like a galaxy of hundreds of billions of stars. You're seeing it as this little dot, but this little dot that's flying through space, surrounded by other little darts with very similarly spaced distances yeah, between them. Through, yeah. So I'm like, if we see uniformity in that form, in terms of like the distance between galaxies, like so many galaxies, is so it's so similar. They might vary slightly, and that slightly might be hundreds of millions of light years, right? But Mm -hmm. But but there's so much uniformity. Why would we not assume that that uniformity exists pretty much everywhere and that all these things that you're seeing that are so similar, you do see binary star systems, you do see single star systems like stars. But there's also some, some speculation that Earth and that, that our solar system was one time was a binary star system. Right? I mean, that's one of the, the speculations about that that object that they find outside the Kuiper belt that the thing is ten times larger than Earth. They think it might have been at one point in time a star. But this this uniformity that you see, why wouldn't we think that that, that has its same implications biologically? That there's some sort of a biological uniformity and that this happens given the right sets of circumstances. Yeah, it you could should, be. You should tell them some of the stuff that you've read that you don't know is true. I mean, if the, the stuff was true about the propulsion stuff, I mean, anyway. He, well, what have you read? What, what, well, you, what read? you saw, too. I mean, you know? What are you talking about? Spill the beans, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I got to poke the bear here. A little Get bit. some more yeah. liquor in you. The, um, well, I mean, the again, the the only thing I could verify was what I had my hands on. Um, there were, you know, there was talk of weapon systems. That there were different projects. Project Galileo, Project Sidekick was supposed to be weapon applications of the craft. Um, Project Looking Glass had to do with time, any effects of time in the craft. Now, I don't think we're not talking about making a time machine like in science fiction, but we're talking about, you know, small distortions, intentional distortions of time and how that can be used, you know, as a uh, not as a well, it was part of what was the projects you just mentioned. I don't remember the names. I was just trying to figure out what the, where he was going with it. I was trying to write them down. I got Sidekick and Galileo. Do you, you don't remember the other one? Uh-uh. Where are we at? Let's go. Right. But he's back on the time travel thing that I was talking about before, too. Yeah, I backed it like 30 seconds. The Again, the, the only thing I could verify was what I had my hands on. Um, there were, you know, there was talk of weapon systems. That There were different projects. Project Galileo, Project Sidekick was supposed to be weapon applications of the craft. Um, Project Looking Glass had Looking to do glass, with yeah. time, any effects of time in the craft. Now, I don't think we're not talking about making a time machine like in science fiction, but we're talking about, you know, small distortions, intentional distortions of time and how that can be used, you know, as a uh, 
Not as a well, it was part of a weapon program. How are you informed in this? About These again this? were just the small briefings that I read, but. Again, I don't really like to talk about those because I don't have any information on them, and it was just, you know, small right. briefings. But you told Commander Fravor that what he saw might have been a time dilation and not it, it, Well, it could be propulsion. because yeah. gravity affects time, you know, space-time. Yes. I'm sure you've heard of that. And, uh, you know, what, what Commander Fravor saw as he was in the F-18 approaching it, he said it, he described it as a... Uh, ping pong ball in a cup and shaking it back and forth. It was moving that fast. Now, obviously, if there's anything inside there, it, it's going to be battered to hell. But you know, my point was was that well, one of two things: either there's a gravitational envelope in there which negates any inertia effects, or you are seeing through a gravity distortion field. So you know, just like you're looking at a a hot highway and mm. you see you know, an, like an optical distortion right. going through there. Well, the same thing happens in gravity, and the craft may not actually be moving like that. It may just look like it uh. because you're seeing, you, you can only see it through the field. So it may be making much more gentle moves. I'm not saying that's it, but it has to be one of the two. And the thing shows up 60 miles away. They noticed it on radar 60 seconds after it left Commander Fraber. But it was at his cap point, which is the next point he was destined to go to, 60 miles away. And in 60 seconds, on radar, the same object ends up there. So it's going a mile a second. No. They, the, I think the radar just picked it up in 60 seconds. Yeah, we, it could have been there instantly. but he, Yeah, uh, we don't know. The oh, cycle time. Nobody knows. That, that's the whole thing. Is, oh, so it cycles? Like radar cycles? Like yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't sweep, but right, I mean, like it, it turn, scans. Like, yeah, it, it's like a planar antenna. array, so okay. it just, you know, it scans around it at random places. That's the spy one. Does the really cool. Yeah, right. it doesn't do the whole loop anymore. Right. Can the point. Uh, the point is, though, that the craft moved to his next location before he knew where his next location was going to be. Jesus. And that's, I mean, that's Documented. well documented. So that's a. Uh, that's a. Pretty shocking piece of information. What's fascinating to me, too, is that you were discussing this, um, the, the way this reactor worked, and that these things were not really connected. No, nothing is connected. There's no wiring at all. That freaks me the fuck out. You charge your iPhone, you know. Yeah. Like, well, wireless. Yeah. Little, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the uh, that's a well, simple I mean, electromagnetic... Tesla. Yeah, I know, again, but that's just simple electromagnetic induction. Right, it's, but I mean, Tesla, the scientist, had this concept of... Uh, right, that's, that's, what he's, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. I mean, about. for other yeah. people that don't know what we're saying, he wanted to send wireless electricity through the sky, and Westinghouse was like, get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> like, when anybody could just pull electricity out of the sky? Can't meter Yeah, they couldn't, yeah. they couldn't meter it. We had this talk in the yeah. car right over and trying to chill him out, you know? We're talking about Tesla and how he, you know, he couldn't be metered and how it all went down, so it's funny you bring it up. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that... that I mean, who knows what would have happened in terms of innovation yeah. had he been allowed to go forward with that? Well, we probably wouldn't have computers. You think? Yeah, I'm pretty positive. Why I mean, that? forget about microelectronics. Well, this is dumping huge amounts of electromagnetic energy in the air. And, yeah, we'd be able to wirelessly turn on our lights, but 
there'd be no radio communication. The interference would be something we could would be overwhelming. It would induce electric currents in anything with a small wire on it. So integrated circuits, transistors would be disintegrated before they were even you know tested for operation. So it it would it would Maybe destroy it would have fucked us up. Yeah, it would have stopped us dead. We'd have. It'd be great. You can turn lighters on and heaters from all over the place with no wires, but it would stop modern electronics. And, and if we became dependent on it, it would almost be like our dependence on fossil fuels. Although it's destructive, it's very difficult for us to get off the nipple. It would have changed the course of how we developed, which is so interesting when you talk about if a civilization, another star system, didn't even start with fossil fuels. They had 115 naturally on their planet, and they're like, cool, anti-gravity is pretty awesome. Well, the fact that they I didn't I think have- it's important that that actually happened. Yeah. It might have been stopped in its tracks for a reason. Whoa. And That's heavy. It's just, it's. I think it's incredibly difficult for us to imagine technological progression under another timeline other than the one that we've experienced. Yeah, that's difficult. If we imagine what this alien race must have been like, and I, I mean, God, just... Just to be able to see something, to, like, I mean, obviously we've seen it in different life forms, right? Like we see the life of certain beetles in comparison to the life of certain fish. Very, very different existence, very different life cycles. Octopus. Yeah, octopus. Yeah, I mean, we see all these different variables in terms of biological entities on Earth, but we don't see it in terms of technological innovation as we're the only one that's intelligent mm-hmm. that can innovate. I mean, we have intelligent creatures, but they're in the ocean. The only other thing that are like us are dolphins and orcas and whales, and they don't have the ability to manipulate their environment. And subsequently, because they don't have the ability to ma- manipulate their environment, we put them in fish tanks. And we're like, get in the tank. Do some tricks. Right. <laughs> you know, the only thing he saw in the craft, if we were considering Bob's story, the only thing that you, he saw in the craft that he related to that looked like a human could make was this honeycomb hatch. And I always loved that because you're like – obsessed with this thing that you could recognize you know the re- yeah i i only focus on that because it was the one thing that i understood how it worked what was it and it was it was the access to the level below and it was um well you know if you take uh you have a six pack of beer and mm-hmm. you take out the cardboard dividers mm-hmm. set it on the table you can put a lot of pressure on the top but if you push it from the sides it collapses flat so it was something like that in a honeycomb shape that was essentially some sort of sheet metal. And you could walk on that in the upper layer, but if you took the corner, stuck your finger in, and pushed, it collapsed and made a an entryway. Mm. So I thought that was a really unique. I'd never seen that before, and it was the only thing in the craft that made absolute sense to me. I said, ah, we can make that, and all that is is a hatchway. Was there any discussion about the materials that were used to make the craft? I'm sure there was, but that was a, a metallurgy division. It had nothing to do with us. So you never got a, a, a not even the slightest it? briefing. I don't even know if it was metal or it was ceramic. It's. Uh, I think it, there's a fine line between the two. Now, one of the things that's happened to you that has allowed people to discredit you was there's obviously been some sort of an effort to erase your past. Yeah. Some sort of an an effort to erase your education history, your employment history at Los Alamos. In fact, the only way your employment history was proven at Los Alamos was someone got a list, a directory of the employees from the past and read into it, and you were on that list. So it proved that you worked there even though people were trying to deny it, and they were trying to use that as a way to discredit you, that you never did work at Los Alamos. You weren't really a scientist. 
what was what was that like to experience? I mean, of course, we're talking about the 1980s, the 1990s, when you could get away with something like that. Yeah, I, obviously there were a lot less, uh, a lot less records on computers at that time. It was still file cabinets and, yeah. and folders. But uh, yeah, that was frightening. That was one of the first things. What I happened? Started. I think it's. I think George Knapp was the first one that uncovered that. I mean, he saw my birth certificate disappear. He um, it disappeared. Yeah, like it, there was no record of you being. Yeah, there was there was no record of that. There was uh, his mom no tells record. Me, his mom tells me about that. Like it was frightening for her. For, uh, he's got a real family, you know. And he's a real person. It was frightening for her. But if the Los Alamos thing really surprised me, and that they were so adamant that no, this guy never worked here. Don't be ridiculous. And George went back and forth, you know, for I got for, the letters on the wall. Yeah, months. I mean, it w- it was ridiculous. But fortunately, somebody came up with a 1982 phone book directory. I mean, and also, uh, originally I told you, uh, you know, when I worked there, I was on the front page of the the paper. So they were still able to archive, you know, bring that back from the archives. And, you know, Bob Lazar, a physicist working here at Los Alamos, so there was at least something there. But uh, somehow George came up with the the phone directory. And then then Bob took George with cameras into Los Alamos. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we flew out there, and I said, look, come on in. I'll show you where I worked. We'll go in. We'll meet people. And George went with me and, you know, and filmed you inside there. navigate the place. So you'd oh, yeah, and, you know, met people, and, you know. and Los so Alamos no was also the place where they had the machine that was able to read the the size of your digits. No, no, that was that in Los Alamos. That was S4. That was S4. And explain that. So... Now, this was back in the 80s. And this is and back in the 80s where when you discuss this, people are like, this doesn't even exist. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What was it? It was a way, you know, this was before fingerprint scanners and, you know, and anything of anything, any high resolution scanner at that time. So what it was was a device that uh, had a little picture of a hand on a glass plate with pins in it so you could jam your hand in there. And there was a bright light above it and a sensor underneath. And when you put your hand in there, the light would turn on and it would measure the bones in your finger because the light shone through your bones. And apparently, the length of the bones in your fingers are extremely unique and easy to measure. And they use that. When you put your hands on there, the light would turn on and your badge would pop out. There's it right there. Oh, there it is. That's that's it. And I tried to describe this um, to people, and they said, that is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. And um, I said, hey, that my badge came out of that thing. I put my hand on it, badge popped out, and that's how I could open the doors and get into S4. And... Um, you know, you, and everybody discredited that. They said it was bullshit. It was, it was science fiction. And, Jeremy, you found this. I, I found it through a good friend of mine named Tyler Rogaway, and he had some good sources inside of Area 52 where they also used these for the stealth program right around that time. So now I've got all these people that worked within who you know, said only if you're in certain programs would we use this technology. It was kind of shit, actually. They didn't keep it for very long, beginning of biometrics. So I was able to reveal it in my film. I kept my mouth shut until I showed it to Bob. You know, In the movie, it was the first time he saw it was how you see it in the documentary. That's his genuine reaction. I'm getting goosebumps. That was a great idea, that you, the way you did it. Thank you, man, because you know what? Guess what? I'm, I'm actually yeah. trying to see if he's telling the truth. That's how I started. You know, that's yeah. how I started. So it was really cool to see that, and you, that you get to see it, his yeah. actual reaction. Has that been verified by other people? Yeah, so 
Yeah, so to me it has. Uh, personally, I get emails every day and people are telling me where these are used and how they're used and send me photos. I got a lot of photos of identity mats now. Well, how they were used, right? They're not How they were used, but yeah, mats. but uh, I don't – the most recent one was way more recent than I thought in another country. But yeah, that technology was used. So what's so funny is um, that this technology – even in the Area 52 where they'd use him for Tonopah, one of the guys who will go on camera with me, he will do an interview with me, he was a technician for one of these. And, and he hated them because they were really bad. They always broke down and never – and he was a technician for him. Now, he mm. won't tell me where. if He worked at Area 52, so it was probably Tonopah. It's very separated, even on the base. But, yeah. So there was that. Yeah. There is your education record. That was also – like, what happened with that? Well, that disappeared also, you know, that I, I've, I've never gone, I've never gone anywhere for education. I've never gone, I never attended any classes at Caltech. I never attended anything at MIT. You did attend classes in those places. Though. I did attend mm -hmm. classes in those places. Do you know anybody that you went to school with? That, yes, I do. And have they verified that they went to school with you? Well, I gave Jeremy some names, but people, yeah. I, the reason I don't say these names publicly of is course. because every single time I mention a name, somebody gets in trouble. They don't want to of be. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, but what what is that experience like, seeing your birth certificate erased, seeing your employment Well, it's history? frightening. It's, it's absolutely frightening. But it's also the fuel that the debunkers use, the so-called air quote skeptics. I don't like the term skeptics. I'm going to say this publicly because I, I really have only said this privately. I think it's a sloppy, lazy way to look at things, mm. to just be a skeptic. Look, just, there, at I this want people point, to be objective. And I think there's a lot of things you should be skeptical of. I think you should, you should look at things and look at things from a hardline science perspective. You should absolutely. be objective. But the idea of skeptics, the problem with that is you're always looking for things to be bullshit. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous because I think some things aren't bullshit. It's confirmation bias on the other end. You're just it deciding is. to take a square thing and put it in a round hole no matter what. And know? I find a lot of them to be lazy. Yeah. A lot of them to be lazy thinkers. Sure. Because they're always putting it into that box instead of going, hmm. Instead of just separating their ego, they're trying, they're playing a game. And the game is calling bullshit. I want to call bullshit, and I'm going to line up all these reasons why it's bullshit, and I'm going to ignore anything that might be contrary to that definition. Yeah, that does happen. Every time I'm thinking I'm going to catch him in something, you know, all along this process, um, I found Dr. Krangle. He came forward and said, I was in security briefings with Bob Lazar, the physicist at Los Alamos. He went on the record with me. Now, the other people I talked with, why won't they go on the record with me? Because they're still working there. So that that's the difference, right? What is the what can the public have, right? Or even if they're not working there, they, you know, they want to live their okay. lives. Why? I mean, obviously, people have seen what's happened to you, Mike Thigpen. After thirty years, yeah, really. I found him. If you look at all the information on, you know, concerning my accounts, that's that's verifiable. It can't possibly be a bullshit story anymore. It's really way past that point. Yeah, I mean. That was my Mike Thigpen is I mean how is, could I possibly person? know uh, so Mike Thigpen was the guy that did the security clearances to go to the bait one of the guys that was and this used. is the guy that you work with he said he did right and and George Knapp you know George didn't believe him George put him through four polygraph tests right he tried to see man this is a big risk it sounds interesting but let's see if he's telling the truth one of the things was 
Bob said there was a guy named Mike Thigpen. He did security clearances for the base. And that's a weird name. It's a very specific. For 30 years, George found this guy in this weird department that he didn't even know. It was Mike Thigpen. The guy wouldn't talk to me, ghosted him, totally ghosted him for 30 years, used Facebook and Google image match through his children. I was able to find him after 30 years, and I talked to him three times on the phone. He lives on the East Coast. He almost went on camera with me, confirmed that he did security clearances for the base in 1989, confirmed he remembers Bob Lazar. And what you don't know is there's a handwritten note that a friend of yours has from Mike. What? I know. I'm going to give it to you later. I don't... But that is real. That is actual. So a handwritten note that says what? You know, like this is new to me. So, so when the I when you're when they do security I, clearances, they go through all your friends and family. And they go to your and, friends, family. Yeah, yeah. So this and, is uh, to Bob wow. and I had people come to me for a friend of mine that's serving, and they're doing a security clearance for him. And even though I'm like the UFO guy, uh, they did you know the FBI come and visit my house and make sure that they talk about my friend and they lift a little card. And when my wife told him to get away, because he didn't know who they were, they left a little card. It's super cute now. Back then, it was a handwritten note, and his friend has it for him that you haven't seen in oh my god two Holy decades. <laughs> so if you're listening, how friend, come you're telling well, me what, this what, now? I don't know why I'm telling you. What is this card? It's just a little handwritten note with Mike Thigpen's signature. Oh, a card like a like a like a postcard. Like a piece of paper that okay. he left on the door saying when Bob gets back or whatever it says on it. So it's just another little funny thing. I found the guy. He does the security clearances. He admitted to me he did it. And he admitted to me he was dodging George Knapp because when George said his name on the, on the, on the news, he dropped his fork into his steak or into his potatoes or whatever. And he's looking at his wife. He was in trouble. His name's never supposed to be out there like this. Just a security clearance guy. But you don't want national attention associated with anything Bob has to say. But anyway, this unique name Bob said for 30 years, and the guy ghosted George Knapp. George could prove he existed. He actually talked to me, man. He talked to me three times. He almost went on camera with me. It's mm. just crazy. What what do you what happens after 30 years? You just get more info. Well, that's one of the reasons why when you and me and Jeremy and George Knapp had that conversation on the phone, yeah, I said I think what we can do with this podcast is important. I really do. I think it's important for people to hear this from you in a very clear, just very concise way. And if you examine all the information that you've said today, if you, you look at all the things that the detractors have said, if you look at all of the new recent evidence that's coming out and all these really high-level people in the military and the government that are discussing this, it gives you far more credibility than you would have had in the 1980s sure. when this came out. Fuck yes. Sure. You can't ignore his story just because you don't like it anymore. That's why I thought it was important that you come out and refresh the world's memory and let people know. And like I said, I've been – I mean, I don't want to say I'm a fan of yours, but I guess I'm a fan of yours. As a human <laughs> being, I'm a fan of yours. But I've been following you for decades. I've been following the story for decades. I mean, no I have, kidding. Oh. I have VHS tapes. Bob, like home. a lot of the world has? Yeah. It's crazy. Well, anybody that has any sort of uh, a vested interest or a, a, just a even a, a just a fascination with UFOs has followed your story because there's no one else. 
There's no one else that comes forward. There's some guy who said, I worked underground with the aliens, and they shot my hand off. Like, there's a bunch of, like, wacky dudes. That, yeah, they're cool. underground. There's bases. They're shooting lasers through the Earth's crust, and they move them at light speed. There's a lot of those guys. They seem schizophrenic. They seem crazy. They might even be disinformation agents. They might be people that are what if it's all real, muddy though? the waters, which for sure has happened. People it's, it's, are coming forward, though, now. It, it's amazing. And by doing this, what you're doing, you're providing an opportunity for Bob to tell his story. You know, believe it or not. He can tell his story. It's amazing because more people will come forward now that, that are involved with these projects. They'll come forward to you, to me. They're coming forward. And so what you've done here is provide that opportunity if they need it. And it's amazing. I just want to say, Bob. Just don't you, come forward to me. No, don't come just forward to Bob. <laughs> why, why, were you, why were you freaking nauseous at the beginning of this, like, so upset why was your why did you have a migraine because that started off so hard my god i was sitting here like did this well, why are you asking him why Be it's because obvious I, anxiety the guy's gone through 30 fucking years of being persecuted i just want to hear his birth certificate i just want to hear, hear, hear from i, I want to hear him say i want them to why hear do his, i have to say that you don't, don't just said it. get yeah. it i step out okay. settle down <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I get it. You were, you were, it was hard for you to get him here, you know, and I it appreciate it. was hard for us. You, yeah. You, you, well, you did well, a lot what, more than what, me. what really annoys me are the people that think, you know, you guys just came up with the story to make a bunch of money or get a bunch of, you know, attention. And That's look, a good point. So look, please explain that. You've first of all, I don't get this. any money out of this at all. And I may, I didn't even let you guys buy plane tickets for me to come out here or anything. I mean, any time, like when Jeremy uh, pre- previewed i guess the movie up in michigan i mean they it, it brought in like a couple thousand dollars i made sure that two thousand dollars went to Minnesota. science programs at the local high schools there it's i don't dirty money he i doesn't don't want to touch it i don't take any money from this stuff and as far as attention i hate fucking attention <laughs> i don't like being on shows i just want to kind of hide in the corner and do my own thing so that's i got enough hugs when i was a so kid. no chance okay. of getting them on the show i don't need <laughs> any attention so no that if if you if you think somehow we came up with this thing then you got to tell me why we did it well you've done a great job of, of, of making sure you have your bases covered in that regard that you haven't profited off of this and like you said that you have donated whatever money that came your way to science programs it's i mean it it doesn't make any sense any other way. I mean, what you're, what I've got, gotten out of here is what I thought I was going to get out of here when I watched the documentary, that you, what you're saying makes sense. It doesn't make sense that it's bullshit. That happened exactly like I said it did, Joe. I believe you. Um, in closing, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I can't think of anything other than really don't come and try to visit me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know that you have paid a huge personal cost to get this information out. And, I mean, maybe you didn't understand what that cost would have been when you first initially came forward with the story. But over the past 30 years, it's been immense. It's been great. And I, I just want to thank you for that. And thank you for all, all these people that would not have gotten this information and would not have really had this story any other way. Oh, thanks, Joe. Thank you. And thank you, Jeremy. And one thanks, more time, you. the documentary is available on Netflix right now. Yeah, it's called uh, Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. All right. That's it, folks. Good night. So there you go, Dave. Wow. Thoughts. Just like Bob's or uh, Joe said, there's no reason for him to make it up. He's not making any money. He doesn't want any fucking attention. So it doesn't make any sense. Other than it could be the, dis 
disinformation part. That he doesn't even him, know that. Right, that he doesn't like, know it's all bullshit. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, th- that's what makes me believe what he what he says. The only part that makes me not believe what he says is the fact that maybe what he was told was bullshit. Right. But as far as he's concerned, he's not lying. And see, and the thing with it being all bullshit is the government wouldn't have erased all of his existence to discredit him if it wasn't real. Maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe. Or would they just have done it to make it seem like it was all real? Exactly. Yeah. Like, that's we the thing. Know. We'll never know. It's dude. a 50 50 shot. It's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Or there could be parts of what he says is real and parts of what he says is bullshit. Right. So the little bit that, I mean, that's the problem. The government has muddied the water so that we'll never know right. unless they want us to know. Right. And even if they were to come out tomorrow and say, okay. We're just going to tell you everything. I don't know about you, Dave, but I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't either. Because I'd say, why? All of a sudden, are you you know, at that point, like, we've been lied to so much, you would start to question, why? What What are you trying to distract me of now? Right. Is probably what right. I would go with. Right. Be like, all right, so what... Uh, what politician is just got arrested for molesting a child now right, right. or something? I, I would probably look the other way because I would. it just makes sense that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I kind of think part of the reason all this is coming out now is because of that. Like, I don't know, maybe not, but. Could be bad timing. Yeah. But or it's all, believe, who knows, dude? I don't believe in bad timing, though, with this kind of shit. No. It, it's just, it's the springboard. I, that- I think that I think this all came out, and here's the thing: like with like lots of things that go viral, mm-hmm. so to speak, it's maybe a slow news day. So the fucking lady that has the that buys the Chewbacca mask at Kohl's, slow news day, and she puts right. out a video, and all of a sudden right. it just ticks, or. Uh, uh oh, uh, Bill Clinton's raped somebody else. Uh, f- find something to co- we can cover instead of that. Right. Oh, look, Bob Lazar is in a movie on Netflix. Let's fucking blow that shit up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm Area doing, you know, whatever. There, there just is, it's not like everything's done on purpose. Like, they, hey, Jeremy, put out that movie right now. Right. I don't right. think that's the case. Jeremy had a release date for the movie, it was coming out on this day. Other shit just happened, and they grabbed it, yeah. you know, or whatever. It's just, there's always shit going on. It's just w- what's thrown in front is probably covering up something else. Right. In certain, certain aspects. Right. But anyways, um, so I did pull up that uh, Wilson memo leak that they were talking about. I think at some point, I don't know if it probably won't be the next episode, but at some point we'll read through that. Cool. And then I have other notes from things that they talked about. Right. We'll maybe dive a little deeper into different things. Um, but it's interesting. I'm glad all this kind of came out. I'm yeah. glad we did the movie or watched the movie. Glad you finally watched this. <laughs> uh, they have a better understanding now yeah. of the Bob Lazar story. Right. And uh, I don't know. I'd assume as time goes on, more and more will come out. Mm-hmm. You know? So... 
we'll just keep monitoring it. Yeah. As uh, as time goes on, so that'll do it, eh? All right, man. All right, thanks for being here. Thanks. Please subscribe to the Detour Podcast Network on iTunes, and don't forget to rate and review while you're there. You can also download the Stitcher and Podbean app to your device for free and search Detour Podcast Network and subscribe. If you enjoy listening to the shows on the Detour Podcast Network, then spread the word to everyone you know. Your word of mouth is our best advertising method, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. comment or concern 872-242-8311 or maybe you just like to hear your voice instead of ours 872-242-8311 then call the d2r podcast network hotline at usa chat 311 that's 872-242-8311 872-242-8311 no matter the time or day you can call 24 7 and operators will be standing by 872-242-8311 your call is important to us 872-242-8311 so once again usa chat 311 
deals on Amazon by first going to d2rpn.com and clicking the Amazon banner. By doing so, you're helping out the D2R Podcast Network. Don't forget to tell a friend and thanks for listening.